to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast episode 182 we need more girth my name is Matthew Turner alongside Tom Ann, and Ash how you doing boys doing just good. doing good just for the record the episode of this title the title of this episode is DT's notes Matt has overruled me and I'm, I'm not having that so we're having a f- yeah we're fighting about that I'll be honest that that name caught me a little off guard I hadn't oh. seen it beforehand so I wasn't necessarily <laughs> prepared <laughs> I, just oh. wish, I wish Steve was here for it. Steve know, loves hearing right? about girth, especially from Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talking of girth, this is our look at the 2023 NFL draft at the defensive tackle position. We identified a few weeks ago that there is an absolute need there for the Lions somewhere between the naught and three technique. So we've taken a look at the prospects in this draft. We've tried to have a look at day one, day two, and day three prospects to give you an overview. So we're not having a look at all of day two guys, all of day three guys, just giving you a, a nice picture in this 90 minute, two hour episode, however long this is going to be. And you're going to go into the draft with a heck of a lot more knowledge, but we're going to start off with a bit of preamble. Discord channel is going strong. And I put a link in the YouTube and Twitch chats. Please come and join us there if you want to hear more about whatever the hell's going on with us and all the community down there, about 100 people now. It's really, really good fun. College Football Podcast, Ant, was an absolute banger on Friday. What did you do? Um, So we had a couple of guests on the show, actually, and we took a deep dive into the world of HBCU football, which, for those who don't know, the historically black college or university football scenes, where James Houston came from last year with Jackson State, kind of a subset in the FCS, and there's a lot of talent. There were four guys drafted last year, one who was already on the Super Bowl, and there is a lot of talent from those schools coming through in the draft this year. So we had two guests on. We went through sort of the history of HBCU football, the legacy bowl which is their new version of the combine and the all-star game that they had and then we looked at the 2023 draft class so if you want to find sleeper names for that honestly these guys were as knowledgeable as they come so there are plenty of people in there you'll be able to keep an eye out for now so good fun please do go check it out if you get the opportunity it's it's one of our most watched videos on the college show already so yeah went went quite well And please don't forget to like this episode and sub to the podcast and download the app at lionsnationunite.com. We are a Twitch affiliate. If you have an Amazon Prime sub, you can give us your free monthly Prime subscription. doesn't cost you a penny, but puts about $2.50 in our pocket. helps us run the show, which is much appreciated. There's a feedback form down below on YouTube in the description if you want to tell us anything about how we can improve. And there is a tip jar down there as well if you're so inclined. Last thing is we are... So close, so close to this giveaway actually happening. We're on 873 873 subscribers. We need to get to 900. Then the people who go through the entry requirements, which won't be very much, but it's just to make the app work. The winner will get a choice of a Lembani signed mini helmet, a Barry Sanders graded card, or a Calvin Johnson rookie autograph courtesy of our own Ryan McCluskey. Please get us over the top to 900 
Uh, we'll get the wheels rolling on that. Okay, right. A little bit of news to start us off. Lions come a respectable, call it respectable, 15th out of 32 on the NFL PA report card. There were some interesting things in here. Not least that the Lions are tied for fourth in travel grades with an A, an A minus for strength coaches, which is about middle of the pack. That was an A minus, but a B plus just gets you tied for 13th in the weight room, which comes in well, but they're awful at food service and nutrition with a D minus. That's 28th in the NFL. Boys, did you read about this? Did you have any thoughts about what happened here? It's it's absolutely crazy that this has been released. I, just, I can't even believe it. I think it's quite a cool concept, you know, kind of holds team to account over how they treat the players because there's always been that argument over the years, you know, how well the players looked after, you know, how much the teams are held accountable and, you know, with these sort of grading systems out there now, teams are going to want to make sure their reputation is good for when players want to arrive for free agents, etc. And if you can prove you've got a good culture in, you're looking after the players well, then you might get more opportunities with players. So it might balance it out for some teams who have been lesser inclined, you know, where players have been less inclined to go over the years, been like, actually, they look after their players really well. I'm going to reconsider it. So I think it's a really cool concept. I look forward to seeing it grow. Yeah, that was awesome. Like you say, Matt, I'm surprised it's the kind of thing that they just share out to the public. Um, but great concept. I think it's it's interesting for a number of reasons. One, there's places like Washington, which are as bad as you thought. Um, but then also places like, I think the Chargers were third from bottom. And obviously, from a facility standpoint, having moved into LA, they should have everything they need. So whereas if you look at Washington, or I know the Chiefs were down there as well, old stadiums, older facilities, you might expect some of this. Um, it's quite interesting to get a, I guess, a bigger picture of really how some of these clubs are run. And that also it doesn't translate perfectly to winning too. I mean, some of the teams at the top were not the teams winning Super Bowls the whole time. And similarly, the Chiefs were ranked all the way down there. So it's not directly tied to winnings, but um, yeah, it, it was it was cool to see. also found it quite funny that... Um... This, the stuff that's coming out about the Cardinals, where they, they're the only team to make their players pay for their food. They take out their paycheck, which was just weird. Like, the whole point is, obviously, you're feeding. They feed them a lot because they're playing for you. You shouldn't make them pay for it. So, like, that's probably turned off people from the Cardinals completely. And also, But also think it'd be good for our team because we've seen what the innovations they've done for the medical side the past couple of years with player health after what happened with Tyrell Crosby, where they've brought in a new guy who's whole life has been dedicated to training people to be the head of player performance and health they've done a lot with like men's health and that so wouldn't be surprised if we started hearing it come out in the next couple of months that they're working on the nutrition side bringing in better chefs or more options and that to try and boost the team because it's the kind of thing that I think the team will buy into a lot the sort of feedback from the players to make it as best as they can for them rather than just doing what the Washington owner does or Telesco the Chargers owner does who just lets things rot until it's pretty much falling then he fixes something. I think it's mad in this day and age that Americans stereotypically in my own head kind of fall over the idea of like having nutritionists and nutritional fads and that sort of thing they all come out of California but it spreads over America eventually before invading these shores and you know with the whole health insurance type thing that goes on there where you kind of use it any way you can as long as you're paying for it to get your money's worth but sports science seems to be way back in terms of like 
how important it is. And you have a look at football over here, and like that's been one of the big innovations in the last 20 years, is actually understanding how food impacts performance and eating at the right times to make sure that your performance levels are at their peak when you're playing a game. And I just, I'm guessing that none of this happens in the NFL, given some of these rankings, just doesn't exist, which is like, how? Because relative to a player's salary, it's cheap to find these people to pay to make your players better relative to their salaries. It's like, duh, no brainer, get on with it. Yeah, definitely. It's like the whole story that came out a couple of years ago about Donald when they draft the Rams drafted a rookie D tackle and he came in and everyone was eating McDonald's and then the player looks over at Donald and Donald's actually eating right here in the broccoli and that. And it shocked him. So yeah, that's complete proof of it. If the top players are doing it like Donald, but everyone else isn't, yeah, that speaks volumes. I mean, don't ever forget that Usain Bolt won, won three Olympic gold medals eating chicken nuggets at the 2008 Olympics. So, you know, all this sports science, nutrition stuff is nonsense. <laughs> no, okay, it's clearly not. But um, yeah, it, it's always hard to know how much is, like how relative is a is a D versus an A in the, in the nutritional stakes. It's really hard to know the, the specific details, I guess. Um, but I think just, just looping all the way back, you're completely right. It's the kind of thing where, for Detroit, which may not be the most attractive free agent option versus some of the California teams, et cetera, or, or lower income tax states. Um, it's the kind of stuff they seem pretty hot on in terms of the last three to five years, trying to make improvements every off season, whether it's for fans, whether it's for players. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see some improvements. And before the last time, or after the last time we spoke, sorry, we hired John Fox as a defensive consultant, former Panthers, Broncos and Bears head coach. Ten years ago, there was an article on a prominent NFL site talking about how John Fox is one of the premier head coaching minds in the NFL at the time. And he is now assisting our team, our defense. It's staggering to me. I actually really enjoyed his Broncos team. That was kind of when I was really getting into the NFL. How about you guys? I'm I'm shocked, to be honest. Same, but I'm so happy for it. Because you say the Broncos team, that sort of no fly, no fly zone they had, where it was like Chris, a young Chris Harris, Ilkeeb Zaleeb, you had Von Miller and all that. It was, they managed to win a Super Bowl with a 40-year-old Peyton Manning, who was basically having a nosebleed with the effort he was exerting to throw the ball. And somehow they managed to, win the Super Bowl. So to have someone that's that defense that level of defensive mind here helping Glenn maybe make that push to be a head coach, maybe helping Dre Bly and the new defensive line coach from Penn State transition from pro skater from college to pro, which is something he himself did. Just having someone in that room just to be that overseeing voice and to sort of be that one percent that could tip us over from maybe losing a game to winning a game. It's just perfect. I think it's not like obviously the defense hasn't been ideal. Let's go with that the last couple of years in general. Obviously got better towards the end of last season, but some kind of change up here. A super experienced, well-regarded guy. I mean, it's it's hard not to like it. Who knows the impact it will actually have? But uh, yeah, at a, at a high level, I'm a fan. I'm kind of hoping it will take the sting out of Aaron Get Glenn a little bit because sometimes. One of the failings I think he has on third down is he goes too aggressive, too much cover zero all-out blitz on third and ten. And it's like, if you want to bring five, that's fine. But 
bringing like eight guys on on third and long like it can't be a recipe for success long term and i'm hoping he'll kind of turn back the aggression a little bit because you've got to be aggressive somewhat but it was just too much last year and any thoughts on john fox nothing more that's already been said all right we're going to crack on with our interior defensive line prospects we've got 11 for you and honorable mentions followed by combine takes at the high level uh so without further ado because it might be a long show otherwise tom you're kicking us off with a look at the maligned jalen carter from georgia Okay, and I will try and keep this uh, briefer than some of the 10, 15-minute rants I did on Prospects last year. So um, up front, I think just quickly to address uh, what happened obviously over the weekend with Carter. So obviously he was arrested and facing allegations uh, for his involvement in a fatal car crash. Uh, This is something where obviously we don't have all the information yet. We may never get all the information, but it's all relatively fresh. Um, so I'm going to focus purely on field in terms of this report rather than dwelling too much on on that side of things. So um, with Carter, just to, to quickly introduce him. So six foot three, weighed in at 314 pounds at the combine, which is surprisingly big, actually. We'll come to that later in the evaluation. But um, I think most people were expecting him to be more than 300, 305 points. So. A bigger tackle, versatile defensive tackle, can go heads up on a center, can line up outside the tackle as well. At the NFL level, he's primarily going to be used as a three-tech, but does have that versatility. And committed to Georgia as a top recruit, uh, but also played basketball and finished second in the state weightlifting competitions, giving you an idea of his uh, his strength, which again, we will come to. Um, ultimately, even coming into the season, he was really seen as the best player on that Georgia defense from 2021. So including first overall pick Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, all of these guys. Carter was always seen as the guy. Um, So talking of his strengths, uh, his first strength is his strength. Uh, It's completely overwhelming at times, especially one-on-one. He's so powerful at the point of attack. Um, One rep, he was against certified big human, Dewan Jones, who's what, 6'8", 350, something like that, from OSU. Uh, a run play and Carter just doesn't move an inch on a run play, then sheds him. It's it's super, super impressive. Uh, he's really precise with his hand placement to make the most of this power. Um, it mostly uses leverage effectively, I think, to keep control versus blockers. There's occasional times he pops up, but in general uses his leverage very well. Um, and in terms of as a three technique where I think he's going to translate, he's about as effective as you'll see in terms of disrupting double teams as well. Um just around that off, his bull rush is pretty deadly. So the penultimate play of the college football playoff, uh, CJ Stroud runs for 40 yards, sets up what should have been the uh, game-winning field goal. If you go back and watch that, Carter just completely destroys the guard into, on the interior. And he's basically tackled to the ground as he flushes Stroud out the pocket. It's just not cool. So super, super impressive strength and power. From a pass rush standpoint, he has all the athletic gifts um, you could want, especially for a man who's almost 315 pounds. I mean, he can knock 300 plus pound offensive linemen off balance uh, with ease, with his club move in particular. He could put them on their face with his push pull, but then he also does show a lot of finesse uh, with his swim move, which will come to for me is overused, but is incredibly effective when he uses it correctly. Um, and then finally, athleticism. So moves so well for a big guy. 
Um, and we talk about his power, but also really impressive lateral agility too. Body control working down the line. There was one play against Tennessee where he beats his guard outside, but then really turns on a dime to get back to the quarterback and force a fumble. So quite often you'll see these big, powerful tackles as more linear athletes, but then they don't have the hips to necessarily bend. And you see it on on stunts as well. Uh, when they loop him round, he shows really, really impressive bend, the kind of stuff you see from edge guys. Uh, the fact he, he's doing that at 315 pounds is, is super, super impressive. So uh, just a, an incredible prospect, to be perfectly honest. Weaknesses, uh, when we're talking on the field, they seem very fixable. Uh, he does lack a bit of a plan when it comes to his pa- pass rush. For me, he overuses that swim move. Um, as a result, he quite often exposes his chest plate uh, and you see him get driven to the ground by uh, by linemen. Um, to, he does spend more time on the ground than ideally you'd want. He can sometimes be a bit wild and out of control with this. Uh, and when his first pass rush move does fail, he very rarely counters. So you'd like to see him work a little bit almost smarter rather than harder, but develop those counter moves. Um, and I think there's a slight consistency of effort, maybe a consistency of explosiveness. Now, that might come down to conditioning. He had a few lower body injuries this year. Um, but this is a guy who's never had more than 400 snaps in a season at college. So for comparison, a guy like Quinn and Williams, who's a similarly rated uh, DT coming out, he had 647 in his last year at Bama. One of the guys I'm going to talk about later, another uh, prominent player had 650 as well. So never having more than 400 is notable as well. Quickly, player comparison. So I rarely like to go for the guy who gets uh, called out most often, to be honest. Uh, Quinn and Williams is the name you'll hear most. I actually think he's closer to Jeffrey Simmons from that draft class. Um, Simmons was a top five talent for me in that group, but he had a variety of different off-field issues. Um, The reality is his impact or Carter's impact against the pass means he's normally compared to guys like Williams or Simmons, but actually he's 15 pounds heavier than these guys. And he's so much more physical in his play style that it's quite hard to find a, a decent player comparison. And I'm kind of reluctant to do this, but the one I come to is Ndamukong Sue. It's that blend of size, speed, power, athleticism. I genuinely don't think we've seen that since Sue came out. Um, Carter is even heavier than Sue was. I think he's more developed in his pass rush repertoire as well, but they have a similar play style. I mean, honestly, there's times with Carter, you see it. And I think he even flashes some Reggie White in terms of his physicality actually getting after the quarterback. Now, the different players, obviously, White was... Uh, more of a just a heavy edge but let's leave that there for now I'm not saying he's going to be one of the greatest pass rushers of all time but there are flashes so in summary I think Carter's the best DT prospect since Sue he's an absolute game wrecker all three downs pretty much since he stepped on the field at Georgia but especially the last two years um ignoring the recent allegations there were still rumors about Carter's maturity which I think is a question then for Uh, the coaching staff and the front office when it comes to this. But given we don't have access to that info, I don't feel comfortable giving it a severe knock against his evaluation in terms of that pure maturity. So for me, he's someone I think he should be gone by the time the Lions make the pick at six. Uh, But he's about as perfect a team fit as you could imagine. From a team building standpoint, I don't think you want to trade up from six for any non-quarterback. Prior to this weekend and all the things that we referenced at the top, I really would have thought about it for Carter. I think he's that special. Thoughts on Carter, boys? Uh, you um, can't really add much more than what Tom said in the 
he is the best defensive tackle prospect in this class. And he is the best defensive tackle prospect who's come out in many years. I I, I do like the Sue comparison. It, it, it's not a lazy one there. It's a guy who just wins by sheer strength and physicality, but he moves in a way which you wouldn't expect a guy his size to. And, you know, the calling card for that Georgia defense over the last few years in college has been its front seven. It's been elite all over, but him, Jordan Davis, guys like that in the middle is where games have really been won and lost for them. And, you know, he's better, far better than what Jordan Davis was. And we saw how he went last year. He's done well this season and this guy's going to be even better. So you can't really say a lot else. You know, it's a shame what's happening with the issues at the minute. We don't say anything about that until we find out what's happened. But I think outside of that, I mean, when it was initially said there were character issues about him, a lot of people, you know, teammates, people who knew him came to his defense. There's a lot of evidence out there that he is a good character guy, he's a good teammate, but just remains to be seen. But as a player, fantastic. What else can I add other than I'm with the. Uh both with Tom and and if he's there at six and um, Brad, Dan, Glenn, the new coach all think that he's going to be a fit in the locker room. I'm running that card up as soon as I can. I don't care. Again, we can get in trouble from the NFL for getting the card in too early. He will just be a beast for us up front with next to Aleem, with Hutch, with Hutchinson, with Pascal and Nats. Our D-line will be terrifying on maybe on their par with what the Eagles were this season. To God help, if Orlando Brand does go to the Bears and the Packers and the Vikings, we're coming for their QBs and they're going to be in pain. Yeah, I'm not going to waste any more breath on this. Very well done. And I have to say, Tom, you leading us off just dooms at least me to failure, and I'm next. So hey, because I cannot, I cannot describe a prospect anywhere near as eloquently or as thoroughly. But I'm going to try my best. With the defensive tackle, Brian Brzee out of Clemson, 21 years old. The combine wave, uh, weighed in at 298 pounds, which is about around expectation six foot five and a half. Former number one recruit out of high school in the country when he came out. 10-yard split, 171 and a 40-yard dash time, 486. And it, coming on to his strengths, he's the biggest guy on the line. Whenever you have a look at that Clemson line, Offensive line, defensive line, just stands out. And that just is going to fit him right in the NFL. It's going to translate immediately because you have to account for someone like that. He actually ended up lining up for Clemson in his college career anywhere on the line between the nought and seven techniques. So he's very versatile. And his pass rush skills actually are enough to give tackles problems regularly. So while I think he translates best probably as a one to three technique probably at the three if you want to line him up at seven as a stunt you absolutely can do that and actually i do think his pass rush skills are in advance of his run defense skills right now which was going to be his calling card early on but he's regularly beating tackles and he can do that with some really good hand fighting he just seems to be able to convert his power to speed really well just gets a little inkling and then he's away so that's really impressive considering he's six foot five um he wins with speed or power uh, one of the things about jordan davis that i hated coming out was that he always seemed to be slow out of the blocks he was the last guy off the line every single time but brazil 
is the first off the line. It's just something I look for in defensive tackles because when a quarterback can get it out in 2.1 seconds and nullify a defensive line, if your guy is on it on the snap, it makes a massive difference to what you can do. Um, one of the things I really like about him is his motor. He keeps going, doesn't stop on plays, doesn't give up. Even when he loses a rep, he's still looking to try and make a noose of himself. He gets into the throwing lanes Every single time, gets his arms up, he's going to get lots of deflected balls in the NFL. Um, that, unfortunately, does it for strengths. I'm going to come on to his weaknesses and some of the reasons for those weaknesses in just a second. Um, the, his biggest weakness, really, in terms, for me, is is just his... He's not a proven commodity at this level yet. You saw in his rookie season a glimpse of what he could be he had moments and flashes where you saw, okay, this guy's absolutely got it. But actually, he was inconsistent in his first year. And while 2021 saw a little bit of an uptick, he was actually shut down for the year after three games with a season-ending injury. And then in 2022, he was worse, and actually worse than he was in his rookie season. Now, big mitigating circumstances. He had um season-ending injury, like I said, in 2021. He had... um several injuries in 2022 which really impacted him he saw some time out of the game and then also the tragic loss of his sister to to brain cancer at 15 years old halfway through the season it clearly just impacted him big time so in terms of what you can read out of 2022 it's difficult because okay the play was poor but it's not his fault but when you're trying to translate that into an evaluation it's like how much account do i take of this can i really chuck it out Okay, even if I chuck it out, his best play, which was inconsistent, is two and a half years ago. I'm going to throw out 2021 as well because it's two or three games and then he's shut down too. So my biggest problem is that I've never seen him consistently do it. And even then, when he was good, it was a flash in the pan. So does this guy translate to the next level? The physical skills are there. He's a big guy. He's quick off the line. He's got good pass rush skills. But his tackling leaves a lot to be desired. You know, like his run defense is not good. In his 2022 season, he was getting bullied on the line. I mean, double teams, he was getting nowhere near. But even one-on-one, -on -one, he was having consistent problems getting any sort of penetration. He was getting put on his ass a few times. And it's like, uh, for someone of this size, you really don't want to be seeing that. Looking ahead to the future, his ceiling is as high as they come if he gets it he gets someone good put his arm around his shoulder and say i'm going to coach you up to be one of the best he could absolutely do it if you tell me in five years time he's one of the best in the nfl when he's getting paid i'm not going to be surprised but on the flip side of that does he does he fix his problems i mean they may not be his fault but an nfl team's not going to care whether it's his fault or not he still needs to produce and for that reason when i'm projecting him as to a draft pick where he's going to come I think a high second round pick is probably about fair the upside is there but the average NFL season NFL career that he's going to have is just not close to something that Jalen Carter will provide you at his floor so totally different um, type of prospect I really struggled to come up with a comparison so maybe you guys may have one for me but he's going to sort sort suit I'll try and speak. He's going to suit a penetration style scheme that isn't going to do too much against the run, which is really going to limit how much he can play in year one. He's not a year one starter. Don't ask him to be. It's going to be a learning curve for him. Boys, thoughts on Brian Brzee? 
it's been a very love-hate relationship I've had with Brian. And like you've mentioned, there are a lot of factors that play in here, which just, for me, make the pick too... It just too volatile. I think there's too many outside factors at play here, and it would I would not be comfortable uh, with the pick itself. I mean, the player when he's on form, he he's terrific. He comes from a system which creates NFL linemen year in year out, versatile, dominant. They know how to win. They come with the right culture. Got all the aspects you need from him there, but the injuries are a concern, and I just. I don't know. I think if he's not, if he can't implement that dominating style he has at the next level, I don't feel like he's got a lot more left in the tank for his ceiling to go much higher to to overcome it. And and it's a shame, really, because I, I can also see a guy who can dominate at this level in there if he gets it all together. But it's just too volatile a pick for me. So preferentially wise, no, I I, I just can't go with it. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And but kind of fortunately for you, Matt, when I was listening to your evaluation, someone did spring to mind. A former he's from Clemson as well. I didn't even remember until I was just looked up his PFF profile. Fifth round pick from 2015. Gar- uh, Grady Jarrett, the Falcons DT. Because I remember him uh, his first years, he was very inconsistent. Started off like a 76th grade and down 62. 62. Then he had a stretch of four years where he was elite, and now he's sort of come back to earth a bit with how the team's gone down. So for me, he that sounds very much like what Breezy could be. A If he can put it all together, he can be elite. Jarrett, during those years, was one of the best defensive tackles in the league, but he has to put it all together. And as you said, we don't know if he can. And if he doesn't go to the right place, and if he isn't able to put it all together... That's all he can be, probably, is maybe a designated pass rusher on like third downs and that. It's the oh, ceiling is definitely there, but is the floor that's the problem. So, I'm as Ant says, eight, uh, six, obviously not 18, no, as well. But if you've managed to fall to us in the second round, and we, yeah, that's when it begins to be like, I'd take him, but it's again, it's if he does. Mm. Uh- yeah, we'll go comparisons first, I guess. Two guys come to mind for me. One, Taven Bryan. I don't even remember him out of Florida about yeah. five or so years ago. He went at the end of round one, which is where I think Brissy will probably go just because I think a playoff team will gamble on him knowing they're not going to have to rely on him. Um, Bryan, super athletic, uh, coming out of Florida, uh, but didn't really have the production, didn't really have the instincts necessarily and fell out the league pretty quickly. Um, at least I think he's out of the league, but he did nothing he's really in, when he went in. Um, he's in Cleveland. Now. Is he? Come Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the other one, um, Robert Kemdiche. So another mm. kind of top, because I, I believe I'm right in saying Brissy was top or right up there in terms of prospects coming out of high school. Uh, and in general, I like to bet on the guys who are the number one player coming out of high school, just because I think you see that quite often it will translate. Um, but Kemdiche was a super talented guy who had separate off-field issues, but um, he flashed at times. The consistency wasn't there. He fell to, I believe, the start of the second round, um, but a variety of things kept him off the uh, kept him off the field. I, I tell you what, with, with Brasier, it, it pains me, and the reason being, what you say about his uh, his sister, just no one should have to go through that anywhere but especially with all eyes and cameras on you. Um, So you absolutely 
kind of understand reasons why things may not have clicked this year, but you're completely right. He regressed. And I think specifically for the Lions, I just cannot see him as a fit. The reason being, especially his work against the run is just nowhere near where it needs to be. And because of our lack of depth there, he would have to play a lot of reps. And I just see him being a human turnstile. So I really, really hope he gets a, a good, he finds a good spot in the draft. And I would love him to be successful um, anywhere in the league, as long as it's not in the NFC North. But yeah, for me, it's it's a real struggle to to project. All right, we'll move on to Ash Soden profiling Kalija Kansi from Pittsburgh. So at the macro level, Kansi is very similar to Breezy in that he's very athletic, probably will play the free tech just because he's a, a six foot one, 281 pounds. So he's quite undersized for the position, which is part of the reason why he's getting comparisons to a uh, certain other Pitts D tackle who came out 24 uh 2014, but we'll come back to later. So um so again at the combine uh, the combine he ran a uh 4.87 which uh, 4.67 which is the quickest 40 time for D tackle ever. Um with a, a 10 yard split of 1.64, which translates on film because he has an amazing first step. When if he can get off the ball on the snap, the guard, the tackle, the center, whoever he's against, is done for. He um this year he led all the the uh, D tackles in the nation in TFLs, which again shows on film is that first quick step, and he was the sixth highest graded D tackle in college by PFF, and I think the second in the Power Five, which just shows how good he was this season. So. His strengths are he has, uh, as I keep saying, the quick first step. If he beats the O lineman off the ball, that's it. They're out the play. He's at the quarterback or the ball carrier, and he's taking them down. And he uh, another strength is the fact that, despite his size, he can be deployed anywhere along the line. So the game I watched against Tennessee, he mostly lined up either against on the inside shoulder of the center or the guard, but he took snaps everywhere from the zero to the six tech, and he actually at the six tech. He was dominating the tackle in those two reps I saw, one of which he managed to whip a spin move right around them and get right to, to Hooker and forced him out to the left. And it led to a TFL. So um, as I say, he has a spin move in his locker, but he also has a great ball rush where if he can get the hands on the guard, he could just push them back, use the leverage against them and then just get straight to the ball carrier. He's also very, very good on stunts. So there was a couple of times where the, he'd start off at the four eye and then sort of loop around over the centre and then come down the A-gap on the other side when there was a run play and sort of tackle the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the running back. So in uh, so in one case I saw live against Will Shipley, I think it was against Clemson, where he just beat the, uh, beat the guard off the snap, went round and then just got Shipley in the back for, I think it was a six-yard TFL. So um, um, when he was used at the six tech, if he wasn't pass rushing, he was able to hold the edge really well, which for us is a good sign because if you know we have problems at D tackle, well, let's say Pascal and Kaminsky go down and for resign Kaminsky, we could potentially use Kansi as the closed end in our scheme because he does demonstrate the kind of technique and the skills necessary for that at times, which is quite interesting. I saw. Um, and also when he's rushing, if he doesn't get to the quarterback and he sees the ball being pumped, he gets his arms up, which is always a good thing. So he's been coached really well, in my opinion, to sort of how to act 
in passing situations. So the, that's pretty much all his strengths. But for his weaknesses, if he doesn't beat the guard off the snap, he can get stuck in hand fighting with them where he just gets preoccupied in trying to beat his guy rather than looking where the ball is and trying to get to the carrier. And when it comes to short yardage situations, he doesn't really generate that much push or penetration. He's just kind of held there in that short yardage situation. And when it, uh, if he's in hand fighting and the ball carrier comes towards him, he just tries to arm tackle the guy rather than actually disengage and get to the, uh, to the running back. He's just kind of there like trying to bear hug him with one side, which can work. But at the same time, that's probably the reason why he got such a poor tackling grade from PFF this season, because he just tries to arm hug people rather than tackle them. And because of his size, he can get caught up in double teams. If he, if a guard in the centre gets to him, that's it. He's out of the play, which is quite concerning. Uh, so, so the comparison, PFF have Patricia Wharton as his comparison, who was an undersized UDFA t- uh, D-tackle out of Missouri who went to Casey and unfortunately tore his ACL this year. And But the big one everyone seems to see is Aaron Donald, who was obviously the big, under, well, big in terms of name, but the undersized D-tackle out of Pitt 2014, defensive player the year consistently because same size, same style, same college. But for me, he's, uh, I think Ed Oliver's more of a, a better comparison, similar size, but just like Kansi, was kind of weaker against the run than maybe you'd like from your D tackle, but great at pass rush. So for me, that's who I'd see because, and no one can ever live up to Aaron Donald. He's going to be, he's a Hall of Famer. And it's unfair, I think, for uh, Canty to get those comparisons because it's going to be too much of an expectation for a fan base. Maybe if they come in and say Aaron Donald, they're going to expect him to hit the ground running and he might not because he is weaker against the run. So that's why I think for for him, at least for us, he'll start at that sort of free tech spot as a designated pass rusher, rotating in with a lean while we work on if we get him while we work on the run defense, because at times because of his size, he can just get overwhelmed. So um, but I think he if given the right coach and given time, he could become a free down lineman who could turn great value right for his spot, which would have been the second round before the combine, but because he did so well he probably will be going between that 18 pick and 49. So we might get another situation like we did in the, the first draft with Levi and Rizuike, where Brad Holmes might be tempted to uh, trade up for him, but hopefully he'll go better this time if he does. Thoughts, boys? Um, yeah, Kansi comes from a really good team this year who has a lot of good defensive prospects and he's kind of spearheaded that front seven in Pittsburgh which on its day is just one of the most dominating lines in college football. He's he's really impressed me as the season's gone along. He's tested incredibly well which seems to be impressing everyone around him. I think with the dearth of D tackles at the top of the draft this year, I reckon he's going to go quite high. I don't, I don't think he'll be there at 18 personally. Is, is that a bit too rich for us? I'm not sure. I mean, as a penetrating three tech, you know, you're not going to get many guys who are better than him in this draft, if any at all. And it's just the size sort of issues you've got to deal with. But from what I've seen, he comes from a very physical very, you know, trench-orientated side. He fits the profile of what you want here in Detroit. He fits kind of what you need in terms of having a specialist pass rusher in the interior there, just add a little bit to it. So 
He's he's such a tantalizing prospect. Um, obviously, he's risen very quickly in the last few months. So you got to think, you know, is he is he going to be a little too rich at eighteen? Despite people saying otherwise, I'm not sure. But all I know is there is a damn good football player in there if you scheme him um, correctly. So I I really like Kansi, and I'm going to be interested to see what happens with him in the draft. As I say, I I think he's personally gone before 18. You saw a team like the Eagles came up last year for Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis was very, you know, a lot of physical attributes, maybe not the production that you wanted, but if a, if a guy's testing well, if a guy looks like he's going to go to the next level, DT is a position of need. Someone will come for him, and I think he'll go quite early. Yeah, and I, I, I completely agree with the Ed Oliver comp. Um, I think the Aaron Donald one is I, uh, lazy's not right, especially now he's run that time. But they they were just different players with different um, different traits, I would say, other than purely the speed. I think Ed Oliver is much more in line with his play style, and I think will gives a little bit of a window to some of the challenges that Kansi could face. So Oliver was um, hyper explosive. So we had a 36-inch vertical, which obviously is a he wasn't quite 300 pounds, but as a 290-pounder is pretty wild. Um, but he had short arms. So that initial get-off that served him so well at uh, at Houston, as soon as you're then going up against NFL athletes, it's harder to go and shoot those gaps straight away. Now, that's not to say because Kansi has short arms, he's not going to succeed in the NFL. That is the ultimate lazy take. But it's uh, lazy take. Sorry, it's going to be a challenge. Um, so actually, again, I think from a pure fit standpoint of the Lions, I don't really love the fit. Um, if you had a more trusted one tech, uh, then I'd be more confident, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's a perfect fit with where, where we currently are, but he's a super exciting prospect. Um, and you can see lots of good that I think will translate. I'll be honest, the time surprised me. It's just. I mean, it, by definition of rare, it's like the fastest time ever by a defensive tackle. So, um, fair play to him. But uh, yeah, he, he's a he's a very intriguing, uh, unique option. His pass rush is one of the most unique things I've ever seen. Like he does this little kind of blooming Irish jig before getting beyond the line. It's really weird. He kind of taps his left foot, right foot, left foot, then burst, and it's like. I don't know what you're doing, but it's working. Like, he's he's got this sort of slippery trait. He just seems to get between people without without really doing much. And I don't know how that's going to translate, because I don't think his pass rush skills are that developed. And actually, that kind of makes me think that the ceiling is even higher than what he's doing right now, which is really good. Talking about fit, beyond beyond year one, I think it's actually really good for the Lions. I think it's the year one fit that gives me a problem. Because I think, much like Brazil, he will be a liability against the run, which we can't afford. So like Ash said, situational player year one. But I think he'll get there. I think it's just a matter of development for him. I, I have confidence that he'll do it. So can we afford that at 18? If we don't go T-tackle at six? Maybe. I have other priorities, but if that defensive line can be fear, fearsome, you know, then that really helps out our DBs, who are not good. So DT or cornerback at 18, I'm kind of feeling it. He's he's one of the most exciting prospects in the draft for me, no matter where he goes. 
All right. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. In, term, in terms of potential game changer, he is. He's, he's, he's one up there who can absolutely win you a game on his own on his day. So, All right. We're going down the draft board a little bit now to Ant profiling Jonah Tavai. Don't hate us, people. Jonah Tavai, San Diego State. See, I feel like I've been stiffed a little bit here because you all three get to talk about three of the best prospects in this draft at D-Tackle, and then you've started off with my, let's say, least popular slash most unknown guy, Angelani's brother. So I, I don't I don't like that. And you've all done essays for your thing. You told me to keep this short. So my ones are actually for a change short. So anyhow, as mentioned, we're doing a profile here. Jonah Tavai, defensive lineman from the San Diego State Aztecs. He is exactly six foot tall. He is 290 pounds. And yes, he is one of four brothers of Jelani, ex-Lions linebacker. That should go down well, but please don't judge him too harshly on it. Now, anyone who knows, anyone who follows the college football pod knows my take on college football, knows that I love the Mountain West, where he comes from, and, you know, this... He's one of these guys who I just really take to quite quickly the more tape I see of them. So I've nicknamed him the pressure cooker because he has 130 total quarterback pressures in the last two seasons alone. There's 22 sacks, 22 quarterback hits, a big stack of tackles for loss as well. And I'm saying that's in two seasons. Now, I'm not going to pretend that the Mountain West is a bastion of quality at the minute. It's probably one of the worst divisions in college football. However, the linemen built in this conference are mean. They are tough. And it is hard to get production in some of these. So for him to be consistently good against these teams shows a degree of skill there. Not only that, he's transferred it to the out-of-conference schedule as well. So they've played Utah twice these last two years. He's in double figures against pressures against them, and they've won the Pac-12 two years in a row. They are no slouches when it comes to opposition. So teams, good or bad, he has produced. So versatility is the key when it comes to Jonah. He's played over 2,000 snaps in college football, highly experienced. 1,500 of them have come from the three-tech out to the edge 500 of them from the three tech inwards. So this is a very versatile lineman there. And like you say, to play along the line against some of these guys, you've got to be tough. You've got to be unforgiving. You've got to have a high motor there. And you've got to take into account he is coming from a system which creates NFL-level talent there. Last year, Cameron Thomas came out of San Diego State. He is with the Cardinals this year. They picked him third round, worked his way into the rotation at the end of the year. No doubt he's going to have a really good second season, but... He's coming from a system that creates quality. He's coming from a family where four brothers have played in college football, high level and the NFL. Whether that's high level or not, we will doubt. But he's all, all the makings of what you need from a player there. So what is he like as a player? He is a star run defender. He's graded out 80 plus in his last three seasons at San Diego State. He is really damn good when it comes against the run. And it all comes from the way he plays. He plays with a real low center of gravity, meaning he gets weight on the bottom half of his body, he gets under offensive linemen, so he either keeps them rooted to the spot in the run game or he can lever them to wherever he so does wish to get them. And with the productivity you can see, it's worked. As I say, he's probably one of the best run defenders coming out of the Mountain West this season. He is not going to beat you with bend and dip off the edge. He's not going to beat you with sheer explosion of speed or anything. But when you have... That ability, when you have the leverage on a play, you can pretty much do 
what you want with them. And and that's kind of really what it what he is at the level. He is just a, a really tough, really raw, powerful guy who's going to give you a lot of fight on your line there and say, you've got to be relentless. The motor's day plays a hell of a lot of snaps for an interior defensive lineman. You know, he's played like six, 700 snaps. Most of his seasons he's been there. It's a lot. The issues, the size. So you're going to sell him on his versatility here. He's played all over the line, six foot, you know, under 300. What was it under 300? Where were we? 290, yeah. I think you said. 290. So you are capped at being a nose tackle at the next level, really, to have too many snaps in there. You can be used situationally in that. And as I say, on the edge, when you've not got the dip, when you've not got the speed to be a true edge rusher as a pass rusher, it clips you. So you've, you've kind of got this weird situation with him here where you can put him on the edge and he is going to be a really good run defender for you. But if you want to use him as a pass rusher, you've got to slide him inside, which creates a schematic issue with him. What 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 can you really do? You're going to have to run a very fluid and very complex front to be able to fit him on your line. But I mean, if he shows he can come up to the next level and play on the interior enough and that he's not going to get bullied in the run game there, then there is the makings of an all-round defensive lineman here. And as I say, I've seen guys come out and have the same issues before, and they've had success at the NFL level there with him. So we'll kind of have to see what happens. I'd like the player a lot. I just think the productivity is there. He's just been an absolute machine these last few years. And as I say, I just like the rough, gritty nature of these guys who come out the Mountain West. But he is going to be very scheme-dependent. I don't really like him for the Lions because I feel we've got a lot of depth on the edge. I don't think he's going to get the reps there. And on the interior, I don't think he offers what we're looking for in terms of the run stuff and ability. That's kind of what we need there. So he's he's a really good player, just not what Detroit needs. But don't knock him for Ben Jelani's brother. This guy is as tough as they come, and I think he's going to find a home in the NFL somewhere. So... That's on it. I don't do player comps for players. It's just a personal thing. I, I like them to stand on their own merits. The second you put a name out there, people start assuming things. So there's going to be no player comp. All I'll say is he's tough. He's powerful. He is gritty. And if he can find a home on the line at the next level, he's going to be a good lineman in a few years' time, just as Cameron Thomas is going to be. So that's everything on the next Tavai brother coming up to the NFL. Thoughts on Jonah Tavai, folks? So I'll be honest, I didn't realise um, Tavai had a brother who was coming out this year until about a month ago. So when uh, I tried to look up a little bit back then, he's fun. Like, I, and I, that sounds a bit almost demeaning because, yes, he doesn't necessarily have the perfect physical profile, etc. But he's a really fun guy to watch. Um, obviously loads up the box score as well. Um it's really hard to see how he's going to be able to win the way he's been winning at the NFL level, to be honest, just because of some of those limitations. Um, but he's going to get an opportunity and he absolutely could be one of those guys that that does something with it. The production's clearly there. Uh, in general, with late rounders, I probably would gamble more on on traits, uh, especially a position like this where you're not going to expect a lot from a special team standpoint, right, with a 300-pounder. So um, I think he's super fun. Uh, I think it would be quite cool if he did well. I think it would also be cool if he uh, found his way to the lines just because of obviously the uh, the suffering that his brother 
kind of had to face, to be perfectly honest. Um, and hopefully fans will take a different approach with a guy who's more of an underdog story. But um, but yeah. And so PFF have him ranked at 144 and he's not ranked on PFN's top 500. So the guy could go late round four. He could go undrafted. If we could get him with our final pick in the draft or like round six or something, I don't know whether people are going to put a lot more stock in PFF than anyone else or their own scouting. But if he's that productive and he's good against the run, he's just undersized. I mean, it's hard on a six-foot frame to put that much more weight on him. But as a flyer, sounds like there's terrific upside. I've not watched anything on him, but from what you've said, I'd be willing to take a chance down there. The, the thing is, he grades well in everything they say he's not going to at the next level. He, again, these Mountain West linemen are just built differently to everyone else. And if, if you want in terms of a player who fits the mindset of a Detroit player, he, he's exactly that. He's tough and uncompromising, and and you have the versatility on the line, which is coveted by the Lions here. It's just it, it's just finding a home for him, and that's the trouble sometimes with the tweener type players. If you if you struggle to find a home for them, that's why they drop. But I, I refuse to believe he's going to be on the board much into day three. I mean, Cameron Thomas went late round three last year. I mean, he had a bit more production, and he was more of an edge edge guy, which knocks the value up a bit, but. I don't think it's going to be too dissimilar, personally. I think probably in the early hundreds, 110, 120. Any thoughts, Ash? I say I know you don't like doing player comps, but I've been doing some uh, list, obviously listening to you and doing some searching. Sounds a lot like Milton Williams, the guy the Eagles had to settle for after we took uh, a lean right in front of them. In the fact that you say good against the run, but is a tweener, so Milton Williams. Is one of those like rotational players for the Eagles where he can line up at the tackle, but he's also been playing the edge for them as well behind uh, Derek Barnett. So he's, he, his divide does sound quite like that to me. I know you, you probably, as you said, you don't like putting the player comps on him. For me, that's what he sounds like. And that could be a good player. Well, he's a good player in the NFL. People can carve out roles like that. But you say, yeah, he, it's harder to, if you don't have, have one place, you know, you can find yourself it will be hard to project where he is because pff obviously sees the value of that but for other places or people that scout themselves then if you don't have a position where you can solidly put him in it's hard to work out exactly where he goes he could go 73 like williams does or he could be a udfa as we say so it's hard to say but if we do take a chance on him obviously i won't hold his name against him but how it is I'm going, to, I'm going to make a bold prediction for him here. I think he's going to end up on a team where they've got good D-line depth so that they can use him situationally to start with and then work his way in. And the team who's got a lot of picks in that area, they don't early, but the 49ers do. They have a lot of picks. They've got a lot of comp picks in that sort of area. I think I, I think I could see him end up there. They like their lineman in his type of mold and he's under no pressure to go there and, and contribute him, you know, straight away. So that that would be my dark horse pick for him. I I think he might end up there. Sounds like very yeah replacement for Eric Armstead maybe. Could be. All right, we're going to move this on to Tom's second player, which is Marzi Smith from Michigan. Comes around quickly. Put my notes away for a second. Uh. Right, give me one second. 
Yeah, Marzi Smith. So um, 6'3", 323 pounds. Again, not to go back to Carter, but worth noting that's only nine pounds heavier than Carter for a very, very different style of player. Now, he was listed at 337 pounds on the Michigan roster. So he stripped 15 pounds either for testing or maybe that's a long-term thing. It's kind of hard to know. But um, previous four-star recruit committed to Michigan, Limited game time his first two years, but then played 544 snaps in 2021, 632 in 2022. So for a guy who's likely a nose tackle, they're pretty impressive numbers. And he was clearly on the field uh, for passing downs as well. Only had one sack, but five hits and 19 hurries in 2022. And I guess what he's probably most famous for is he was the top player on Bruce Feldman's annual freaks list. So um, freaky athleticism, which leads us nicely to his strength. So, and unsurprisingly, his athletic tools are really number one on that list. So he's not first on the freaks list for nothing. He didn't um, didn't participate in most things at the combine, but he did on the bench and he led all defensive linemen with 34 reps. Uh, last offseason, he clocked a 4-4-1 shuttle time. That would be the highest by any defensive lineman over 310 pounds for over a decade. Again, a guy we're talking about who's over 320 pounds. Uh, he had a 6.953 cone time. The fastest at the combine this year was 7.30. So just to try and give you some context of what we're talking about in terms of kind of crazy athleticism here. Um, and for me, it's that quickness is is probably the biggest separator. Um, yes, he's powerful. Absolutely. But traditionally, given he's a nose tackle, there's lots of powerful guys. It's that quickness and agility, which I think is going to be his most powerful asset. And for the most part, that does show up on film. Um, his power, another strength. So his ability to translate those tools into power as well is, is really impressive. If he gets his hands inside a blocker's chest, it's as good as over, to be honest. Now, normally you say that about offensive linemen, but he's just so powerful when he does get inside and he has real pop in his hands when he lands his strikes. Um, he also shows a lot of torque. And by that, I mean, obviously rotational force. It's one thing to be linear in terms of just being able to drive a guy backwards, but being able to use your core strength to try and position into gaps, et cetera, was really impressive. And then finally on strength, so run defense had an 81.3 PFF grade, um, stout build, ability to set a wide base. Obviously it all lends itself pretty nicely to playing the run. He can shed blocks effectively, helped by his power and his use of leverage. And he does often knock guards off balance, lock down his gap, and it allows him to make a play on the ball carrier. So, Lots of good there in terms of weaknesses. Uh, the weaknesses for me are, are really frustrating, to be perfectly honest. Um, number one, his get-off. So we're talking about one of the best pound-for-pound -pound athletes in this draft class. But his reaction at the snap at times is is, is frankly poor. Um, and it negates all those athletic gifts that he should be using. Uh, you worry about him then getting reached as, as a result. If he's not getting off the line, it allows, obviously those quick NFL athletes, uh, even on the interior line, to then start reaching him. Um, combined with this, he quite often pops up upright out of his stance too quickly, uh, and so then isn't optimizing his leverage. So frustrating from a get-off standpoint. His pass rush arsenal, so it's easy to label him a run stuffer, but to reach his ceiling, especially given those other gifts, he needs to develop his pass rush arsenal. He should be having a greater impact, especially if he's going to be living more in that 320, 325 range, uh, rather than maybe the three four, uh, 335, 340 he was playing at. And then finally, so violence. We heard this with Aiden Hutchinson last year, and it's something that when it comes to 
to defensive linemen for me personally, I think it's one of the most important things to show on film. It's what all the best players do, especially on the interior. Yes, finesse, but the ability to play with violence. He does not showcase this. Whether it's initial engagements on the snap, fighting to get hands off him, he just doesn't play with the kind of energy that I think you want. And frankly, what I, I would expect to have a Dan Campbell coached player and the kind of players they would want. So um, I guess most disappointing that does flash in the run game too. There are times where he does get displaced. There are times you'd expect to see him anchor, maybe against a double team, and it just doesn't happen. Um, and you have to wonder if for this regime, that's a, that's a bit of a turnoff. So player comparison, the one you see most <laughs> is Dontari Poe, another very, uh, very athletic nose tackle. And again, uh, the risk of being lazy, he reminds me a lot of Aline McNeil coming out of NC State. Um McNeil was a really good athlete playing at nose tackle and he looked predominantly like a run stuffer who could kind of provide a bit of push in the against the pass pass sorry um but you thought he was going to be your your one tech now in reality I would say McNeil has been a bit disappointed well not a bit he's been disappointing against the run since when since we drafted him but has surpassed expectations actually playing more as a three tech and, and versus a pass so while I do see Smith as more of a traditional nose in line with what we expected from McNeil, I don't think he carries the same pass rush upside that McNeil had, uh, but it's similar kind of player to McNeil maybe coming out. So finishing up, he's an interesting player. He's an interesting fit for the Lions. On the surface, he should be a slam dunk, super athletic, run stuffing, tackle uh, for a team that lacks really quality and depth inside. I think he actually suits the line slightly more penetrating style than expecting him to sit in two gap because of some of those times you did see him displaced. Um, personally, I think it's a good fit really with Aleem as well, considering I think Aleem is probably better at three based on what we've seen so far. That being said, I'm probably a little bit lower on Marzi than, than maybe others. Given his tools, given being at a program like Michigan, I would have expected to see a little bit more. Um, and I expect for him to be in play for the Lions he's going to need to really show that fire and want to play in the interview room because it just doesn't show up on tape as much as you'd want. I feel like, we're just quickly, I feel like I'm going to be hated because we're going to have probably a bunch of Michigan fans who watch him the whole time. Uh, it's not that I don't like him. It's just like I was really excited to watch him and it just wasn't quite what I was hoping for. Thoughts no, on Marzi? No. no, Tom, I'll, I'll hold your hand here, Tom. You've You've got a friend in me when it comes to this. Um, I'm not impressed. Really, I'm not with him. He's one of the better run stuffers when it comes to this class, but the pass rush upside is completely minimal with him. And it's not what we need. The progression's not been there. And I hold these views because the guy I'm going to talk about in a minute has done the improvement um, from a source you would less expect it to come from. But like I said, against the run, he's great. And if you're looking for a bona fide run stuff who's going to clog up the middle of your defense a bit, then great. But you need a bit more than that in the NFL these days. And I'm just I'm I'm just not sold that it's him. Um he's getting way overvalued. You don't, you know, people some have him mocked in the first round. You you can't mock just a run stuffer in the first round. He's got two sacks in college, that's it. Over four years, it's it's just not good enough. And the arms are short, 
the hand counters are not there to be able to create separation quicker, to go after the passer. You know, he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to improve in that regard. He he will be a great run-stuffing DT for someone. And again, with the lack of DTs round, he will probably go higher than he would in a regular draft if there was a competitive class around. But not for us and not as high as people are, uh, not as high as people are mocking him. As I said on the Discord earlier, when the mock draft was brought up where we took him in the second round, I haven't seen much of Marzi, which is probably surprising considering he's a Michigan guy. But listening, I think I've got another, as I usually do, another player comp that might be a bit more palatable to Ant, considering he, we all love Ali McNeil here. Derek Brown, but not college Derek Brown, but NFL Derek Brown. where Because if you remember Brown coming out, he was seen as that sort of athletic nose tackle, D-tackle type who can clog up the middle, but also had some pass rush upside, taken seventh overall by the Panthers. And when it comes to the pros now, he hasn't really reached that pass rush upside. He's just been a guy that's whacked out on run down to stop the run, but did little else. That sounds like what Matty Smith is now. Does he? Could he reach a pass rush upside and reach an lean? Maybe, but given off what other people have said, I doubt it. So for me, I yeah, I'll be kind of out. Maybe if you could get him slightly later on as a long-term bug slash Benito Jones replacement, maybe, but not the price where he's currently being pitched at for me. I have no thoughts on Marzi. I haven't seen him yet. I'm getting there, but I haven't got there yet. Any more thoughts? All right, we're going to move on to my next guy, which is Jacqueline Roy from L. SU. Roy, 22 years old, but a true junior, six foot three, 305 at the combine, which is in amongst where he was meant to be, maybe slightly slimmed down from expectations, 315 or so. The ESPN and NFL draft buzz had him, but TDN had him lighter than that. So who knows? Um, played 31 games in his career, and he has 74 pressures in the interior of the defensive line at LSU. So that's actually really quite impressive. Um, he has a total of 1,300 snaps in his career, 614 this year. So he's on the field a lot. And his strengths, immediately another guy who's really great off the line, one of the first guys to release, one of the things I value the absolute most. Good hand fighting and a great motor, never gives up on a play, really good anchor. Never gets really pushed into the backfield one-on-one. -on -one. He's capable of good lateral movement, but he only shows it occasionally. He doesn't try to do it too often, which is really frustrating, but he's capable. He's strong and can convert the power to speed, but only on a limited basis. The few games that I saw, he just didn't do it enough despite showing that he could. So it's more a matter of converting those flashes into consistent things. Does well to get into gaps as a... Uh, two-gapping run defender, and that's really how I see him right now. Despite all those pressures, I see him best being a two-gapping guy and actually not getting too much penetration at the moment. Weaknesses-wise, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with not being a penetrating guy, limited pass rush upside, he's got the talent, but how can he unlock it more often? Under double teams, he seems to struggle, so one-on-one, -on -one, that anchor works really well. If he f goes up against a centre-guard combo, maybe because you have not too many threats on the outside, then he can fold a bit under pressure, and for some reason, when an offensive lineman locks him up, he just can't get out of the clutches. When I watched him, I wasn't wowed at pretty much any point 
on tape. There was nothing about him that gave me the wow factor that you kind of want to see sometimes from a defensive lineman. Like Tom was saying in the previous evaluation, there's no ferocity. There's no urgency to his play. And sometimes he can be a little slow to react when he sees the run going one way. He can't adjust so he can get a little stuck out there. Um, But the number of pressures he has, the longevity that he has in terms of how many snaps he's been on the field are really good. I project him as probably a fifth or sixth round player, but I think he has a really high floor. I don't think he's a risk at that level. I think he could be a very solid one tech, zero tech player for a long time in the NFL. Uh, Someone who could produce at the level that we saw kind of Bugs play for us this year, but at that level all time, not have the sort of downsides that Bugs has had in his career and kind of coming off the scrap heap to come to Detroit. I think that can be Jacqueline Roy day one. I just, I'm not sure where the ceiling is for him really. Um, That's pretty much it for me. So Jacqueline Roy boys, have you seen much from him? I've seen one game of him. You can guess against two, (laughs) but, uh, he, yeah, he. From what I remember of him in that game, he actually was kind of good. He was a four. I think he got a couple of hurries on good old Jay Trav. But then I also do remember him missing a tackle for a big run from Trey Benson. Not that that's a surprise, considering he forced the most miss, uh, missed tackles in the country, and I think his was actually better than the guy the Broncos took a couple of years who led in missed tackle rate, but that's beside the point. So, um, but yeah, he impressed me in that LSU, uh, that game against us in week one this year. But as you say, yeah, that's his flaw. Like, he could build on it. Like he, as I say, he got a couple of pressures against J-Shaf, who's a mobile QB. So he definitely has a, uh, a ceiling he could reach. But as you say, is that fl- and that flaw of being like a sort of bugs level run defender, that's good enough. So if he's there later... I'd happily take him and accept him with open arms. No more thoughts. There's, there's not a lot I can add on this one. I've I've not watched LSU much this year. They're not a lot worth watching. Yeah, I'm afraid I haven't actually caught much of Royer um, either. But a guy that was one of the worst testers at the combine from my uh, brief research. So I think that probably plays in nicely to what you were saying, Matt, from a pure upside standpoint that there's some good stuff on there but you wonder how much that's going to be able to uh translate to the nfl if he's going to be one of the worst athletes on the field i mean it's it's absolutely staggering really how bad it was for him too in terms of change of direction is kind of what i was saying is a problem for him his three cone drill 8.01 seconds his shuttle five second flat like those are historically bad numbers. And I mean, so in my big board that I've created as an amalgam of TDN and PFN and PFF and whatever, he was ranked at 161. But with testing numbers like that, that that could tank us up to the bottom of day three. I really think that he could be at risk of not going drafted now. And we all preach not overreacting to the combine, but you can absolutely bet your bottom dollar that some GMs will. And that's going to hurt him. So... Yeah. All right, we'll move on to our next guy, and that is Gervon Dexter from Florida. Ash, you're up. Oh, this is a yet another nose tackle type, but hopefully with a bit more of a higher ceiling than uh, Smith and Roy. So uh, Dexter is 6'6", 310. He um, got a 9.21 uh, Raz with 
good speed with a 4.88 40-yard dash, 1.81 10-yard split. Really good explosion with a 31 vertical and a 9-foot-2 broad jump, and which are both good, and a 7.5 free cone. And um, overall, this uh, for Florida this season, he's been very, very good in run defense, 70 grade, and a 55.2 pass rush. But the game I watched, which was Tennessee, actually was better as a pass rusher than he was in the run defense, where he uh, like he actually lined up mostly over the guard rather than as a true nose. And he got um, he actually got three uh, pressures and three tackles, so he kind of balanced out pretty well. And for uh, for the guy that size, he has really really good ball rush. He was pushing the guard back consistently towards Hendon Hooker, and when he was caught up by the guard. He was able to employ a sort of like rip move to get the arms away and push him and then get to the chest plate and push backwards. And if he can get past the blocker, he's able to close in on the QB very, very quickly for a guy that size. And sometimes, and I even saw him uh, once that being lined up over the tackle and he was actually pretty, he was able to turn the corner pretty well as well, which was quite interesting for, as I say, for a guy who's traditionally a nose tackle, the sort of burst he had to get past the tackle and then turn the corner was very, very interesting. And um, against the run, not only is he able to disengage from the block and sort through the traffic to get to the running back, he also uh, he or, uh, he can also generate that sort of penetration you're looking for in the sort yardage and goal line situations. Like there was one where Tennessee, um, I think, had a throw down at the one and they ran the ball, he was able to get past the centre and tackle the running back for a loss, which was quite good. And if he was allowed to sort of hold the gap where the guard doesn't really interact with him, it's sort of a, a, a counter run. He's able to hold that gap, wait for the running back to come to him and then wrap up really well. His weaknesses, though, he's very... He places his hands too high for me. There was times where he's, his hands were almost at the helmet of the guard. So for me, that might be an issue in the NFL where refs might be a bit happier throwing a flag for either holding or hands to the face or face mask penalties. And also, uh, and he can also overrush at times if he's allowed to get to the QB. He can almost run himself out of the play by allowing the QB to step up. And if he's double teamed for a guy, if surprising for his size, if he's double teamed, he can get overwhelmed he's, and just dragged out of the play and that's it. So for uh, so something that he's probably needs to work on, he's working on his anchor, using his weight and his height to stop the double team and hold his uh hold himself and then readjust and get to the running back. So my sort of comparison for him is Andrew Billings from who played for the Raiders this year. He's a good run stuffer with some pass rush upside, but he's nothing special. Like about many people remember Andrew Billings is this is not really like a big name, but he can be a solid two down run stuffer at the one tech for us as sort of like a backup to Bugs Jones if they're brought back to open the season. And if we can work on that hand technique, he could be a very he could turn into a free down uh player where he could have some uh he could have some impact on passing downs. And I know he's currently the fifty eighth on the consensus board, but so he could be in play of that late round uh second uh the late the second later rest, uh pick from the Minnesota Vikings. But he could fall to the third, maybe, given some of the issues and some and the fact he don't think he tested. Uh, yeah, he didn't test in uh, the shuttle, which obviously is a key thing for some teams in terms of their D tackles. I've, I know that Eric values it for the sort of that twi- uh, that twitchiness. 
So he could potentially fall to 82. And if he does, and we haven't taken like a Carter or someone higher up, that could be a run in the pick and he could be a very, very good pick for us at 82. Thoughts on Dexter, boys? Again, there is not a lot I can add to this one. Again, sort of Florida. I've not really looked at the D-line this year. It's more been about Ventral Miller in the safeties. So I can't really add a lot about the D-line. It's it's not been great this year. <laughs> yeah, so a little bit I've seen. I mean, kind of from a size and athleticism standpoint, like I say, the Rad School of 9.2, we like that. Um, I think he can hold up probably more so at the three tech as well. Um, especially with that length. Um, but it, it's a bit of a frustrating watch at times. Um, again, the downside of being, what is he? He's like, is he 6'6", six, six, but like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, especially when people yeah. pop out of their stance and play high, he just loses leverage so easily. So that's very fixable. Um, and he's got the athletic traits that he should be able to do something with it. He's one of those people that to me... It, it comes down so much to how coachable someone like that is, um, which again is really hard slash impossible for us to know. Um, but traits are there. How coachable is he? How, what does he work on? Why is he working on it? How much does, th does this coaching staff think they can get something out of those traits? I think that is probably the difference between them having him in kind of as a, a mid second rounder or a fourth rounder or something or maybe even off the board, you never know with the, with um, how teams stack boards. So um, yes, there are flashes at times, but uh, actually like quite a lot of Florida players, especially Florida D linemen over the last few years, just some frustrating inconsistencies. Yeah, nothing for me to add. Uh, so we'll move straight on to Ant's next guy, out of Wisconsin, Keanu Benton, who I know that you're itching to talk about. <laughs> Me, never. Um, yeah, Keanu is, he's my love in this DT class. I, I, I sort of take Carter away from it because I assume he's going before six. Let's just say from a, a player perspective, he's gone before six. The next guy, Keanu Benton, as Matt says, he's the nose tackle from the Wisconsin Badgers. He is 6'4", 318 pounds, so the 318, 320 mark. He is... Without a doubt, the most dominating run stuff in nose tackle in college football. And I will not hear an argument against it otherwise. He's just got an incredible well of raw power that he uses to dominate on the line of scrimmage. And there's just time after time instances. He is the guy when you're defending in the red zone, when the team's trying to run it down your throat into the end zone. He is the guy who steps up and makes plays. He has been the linchpin of that Wisconsin line now for the last few years. So Benton himself, like I say, 6'4", nearly 320. He possesses the size, the speed, and the length you need to thrive at the NFL level. And he also has a big advantage. He has a storied career as a wrestler as well in high school. He went 48-2. and two. He won, well, I think he won a national championship about when he was down at 285 pounds. But we talked about this with Malcolm Rodriguez last year, the size and that. The knowledge of leverage that wrestling affords you to grapple, your weight distribution, all that shows on tape. When he gets hands on someone... He wins more often than not. And you think about the guys he's been going against in the Big Ten this year. We're talking about Schmitz. We're talking about um, Oluwatimi from Michigan. These 
some serious dudes in there who are going to be performing in the draft this year and going high. The level of competition he's been up against, really, you know, as tough as it comes for some of these guys in college football. Um, before the season, he was thought of as just more of a run stuffer. That is probably accurate at that point. He'd not really shown a great deal up to that point as a pass rusher. And this is kind of what separates him way above Marcy Smith and the likes for me. He went away last offseason. He worked on his technique. He worked on that part of the game because he knew he needed to. So where you see it, it's the speed and the repertoire of move with his hand counters specifically. This is where he's really worked hard in his game and it's given him such an advantage. So it means he's winning his one-on-ones quicker He's getting off the line of scrimmage quicker because he's hitting the gaps faster. So in the run game, obviously, it means that he's not just run stuffing anymore. He can be a guy who takes double teams and stuffs the run up. But now with that ability to get off the line quicker and win quicker, he's been gap shooting and it shows in his stats for the season. So he hit double digit digit tackles for loss this season alone. In his previous three years, he'd only had nine tackles for loss. So you can see the productivity has gotten up because he's getting in the backfield more. And when it comes to the passing game, which uh, to the pass rushing game, which we'd not seen much in before then, all the facets of Gen have improved with it because he's got quicker get off. He ain't the quickest guy in the world. He ain't going to blow you away with his speed, but he's gaining extra time from how quickly he's winning his assignments on the line. He's doubled his career sack total this season. He had sacks in the last four games of the season. He is consistently doing well with his pass rush and he's almost doubled his quarterback tally hit as well. And what kind of gives me a lot of hope for him as pass rusher, because, you know, as you go up to the next level, the game speeds up, etc. It's his instinct when he gets into the backfield. So at least three of the sacks he's had this year, he's taken down a quarterback one-on-one Now, for a nose tackle, a big guy like him, when you're against quarterbacks who are smaller, more mobile than you, his ability to instinctually know where they're going and take them down in open field, I've not really seen it from a guy like this before. It's I'm really impressed with him, and that's what gives me hope that he will, at the next level, continue this because the league is full of mobile guys, guys who like to run, guys who like to go out the pocket. And the way he comes through so quick, he almost makes them freeze puts them into bad decisions. So I just love the way that his pass run game, Connor, like I say, just causes panic, whether it be with a running back, they don't have time to readjust their routes. They just run smack bang into him and in the red zone. I mean, he's made some incredible stops. You just go and watch his highlight tapes. It's full of examples of him stuffing in the red zone. Now, all is said and done, there will be drawbacks to him. Like I say, he is not flashy in, in his versatility. He's going to be a nose tackle one tech. You're going to keep him as a three guy or in a four. He's going to be on the interior. You ain't going to put him on the edge. You ain't going to have him pass rushing from there. And in this day's NFL, that may, you know, put some teams off. Maybe a certain team who wants him there. So, you know, you just need to appeal to someone who's scheme specific for him. And as I said, he's not explosive. So this newfound pass rush ability has one. He's got to keep evolving it. And two, Got to hope that the game doesn't get too quick to sort of negate the ability he has there. But that's more of a C thing. He can do it. I am really high on him. And I think the fit here in Detroit is perfect. I mean, I've kept 
very silent on this criticism that Aleem's been getting because I think a lot of it is misfounded. But you've got to have two guys. If you draft Keanu Benton, if you put him in the interior with Aleem, what these two guys do, they are big, brutal, run-stuffers. I know Aleem may not have shown it yet, but he's not exactly had the help in the interior there to put him in a good situation to do so. But they command and deal with double teams, both of them. And if you leave them one-on-one, they have the pass rush ability to get into the backfield and cause pressure on a quarterback. You've seen it with Aleem this year. He's surpassed what I expected him to be able to do at this level. I've seen what Keanu Benton can do at the next level. You can't double-team both of them. So you are going to have an interior where one guy is free to go and pass rush and they can both do it because you can't ignore the edge either. I think you're going to overwhelm people with a, you know just so many guys who can get through at you. I think you're going to solve your interior problems because, as I said, first and foremost, he is a run stuffer. He does not get beaten. He is one of the best coming out of college this year. The Lions need that, and they need a guy with the pass rushing upside as well to make it worth their while. So if you have Benton and McNeil in that interior, I'm so excited as for what they could be able to do there. And a fun fact to end on him, Every game in his career he's played against Justin Fields because they crossed over in college together. He sacked him. So if we want a guy who's going to come up and make Justin Fields' life miserable for the next few years, this is the guy really that you want to go after. But as I say, he's he's not getting touted as much as these other guys, but the, the ceiling is there with him. He's going to be a high-floor guy. The potential there is limitless with him. I know I said I'm not doing player comps, but you guys are insisting on doing player comps and that for it. So I had to think about it. And this may be shooting for the stars here, but in terms of how they've come into the from college to the to the NFL, I've got Vita Vea here. And I think he could be that good. They are the same size. Vita Vea is a little bit heavier. But when Vita Vea came out of college, the big thing with him was his domination in the run game which is what Keanu has. And you'd seen the flashes of what he could bring as a pass rusher as well. And you've seen the same with Benton here. And I I am really high on him. And I think he can hit Vita Vea type heights. So that would be the one I'd give him. But I'm going to be letting be his own guy. I want the Lions all in on this guy. I'm going to quite say happily. So Keanu Benton, nose tackle Wisconsin. After Carter, this is the guy. He's, he's DT2 for me. Thoughts on Benton? So I'm not going to add much because I'm uh, strongly in agreement. Um, he's he's not necessarily flashy, but to be honest, he's exactly the kind of defensive tackle I think that the Lions need. I think the lack of flash, even though he definitely tested a little better than I expected, which is great, um, but that lack of potential pass rush upside means that he could slip in the draft a bit, and I think that would be a shame, but it's going to give someone a steal. Um, he reminds me a lot of, and the names are going to sound like this is a negative uh, comparison, but if you think about the the nose tackles that the Rams played with over the last few years, so Sebastian Joseph Day, Greg Gaines, those kind of guys, not your 340-pounders, the guys who are more like 310, the guys who you look at and you're like, they, uh, should they be a nose tackle? Are they heavy enough? But they just do their job and they win on the inside. Um, they're not the stars of the defense. I'm not sure Benton's ever going to be a, a superstar, but I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Um, and I think most rankings will have Marzi 
ahead of him or well ahead of him. They are so much closer than that. And I have no issues with people putting uh, Benson ahead. Oh, it, uh, seems seems everyone's going for his player comp arc and this mine. Dexter Lawrence, the guy who this year Aleem stole the pressure from the interior in one game record from. Solid run defender. And this seems this year and past year and a half or so, he's figured out pass rush right. So if we can get that from Benton and have it next to Aleem, as you say, they both command double teams. Whichever one you have at the one, whichever one you have at the three, one, one's probably going to get double team. Your one's going to have a one-on-one to beat a guard and get to the QB. That's going to be terrifying for offensive linemen and offensive linemen coaches to plan for because, as you say, if you try and, even if you try and pinch the line and make sure that you have protection against them two, that frees up Hutch, that frees up Houston, that frees up whoever plays on the other side. So if we, if we do get Benton, and to be honest, if he's there with the Vikings second rounder, I'd happily take him. That might be a bit too rich for everyone else, but I'd do it because, as you say, we need to stock up this D-line and to have two players that get good against the run, especially with going up against David Montgomery twice a year, potentially, going up against Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon against Dalvin Cook. We need run stoppers and to have Benton and uh, Leem in the middle of our D-line creating havoc would just be so beautiful to watch. And, and, and he's faced the hardest competition in college football, quite seriously. He has to go up against Tipman in practice every single day. And for me, Tipman's sent a one in this draft. You know, you have to go up against Schmidt. You have to go up against Hollywood team. It's, these are NFL starting centers that he's facing a lot of the time here. So, you know, this, this has not come against scrubs at the college level. This has come against guys who are going to be season vets one day. So that's why people should like him. I have nothing to add, so I'm going to move on to a lot of people's draft crush, Sayaki Ike from Baylor. 22 years old, redshirt junior, six foot three dead, 335 pounds at the combine, despite being listed at 358. So he was 23 pounds lighter at the combine than he was meant to be. Whether he apparently looked that much smaller. I'm not sure. I haven't actually gone back to compare the two, but he clearly slimmed down for the combine. And he had almost as bad a combine as anyone who's had a bad combine. He had a 539 40-yard dash. He had a 188 10-yard split, a 783 cone, and a 4.99 shuttle. Those are Really bad figures, especially for someone who slimmed down to try and get those figures up. I wouldn't have tested if I was him because his tape is probably better than that. Having said that, uh, his strengths, he's got a very good motor, doesn't stop trying. He um, never gives up on a rep. A lot of his pressures and sacks actually are effort plays rather than actually winning at the point of attack. He's got good athleticism for his weight. And I'll caveat that by saying he doesn't have good athleticism as a defensive lineman. It's just that very few weigh 360 pounds and he can beat some offensive linemen off the snap. And when he does, his closing speed's exceptional. If he gets beyond the offensive line, he's going to scare some quarterbacks the living daylights out of him because no one wants a 360 pound man running, (laughs) running like hell at him. Uh, 
one of the things that I like most about him is that he's just improved year to year. I thought he was a liability early in his college career, to be quite frank. And he has improved year on year. So it gives me it gives me some hope that he can continue to do that in in the NFL. But I mean, that's where his strengths end for me, to be quite honest. There's not a lot there. He just doesn't consistently so much so much at all. He's a bit of a handful sometimes. He's got to be accounted for with that weight and someone who's got a bit of lateral agility. But too often, he really struggles against double teams. And I mean really struggles. He can't anchor. He can get absolutely folded up. Even when he does beat the offensive line, and I just said he's going to scare some quarterbacks, Someone who at a slim down rate runs a 5-3-9-40 and a 1-8-8-10 yard split, he's not getting to the quarterback. He's not a pass rusher. He's not going to do it because the quarterback, if he isn't coming, is going to be able to throw it away before he gets there. At the college level, he got away with it. But at the NFL, you just don't face that many people that it's going to be a problem. He's not fast enough to make impacts against the pass. He lacks versatility. He plays exclusively at the naught or one technique. That's where he's best, but he can't play at the three. You couldn't have him there. And the other thing which is going to kill him is his missed tackle rate. Playing at that nose and at that weight, you have to be able to tackle to have an effective run defense because if you can't pass rush... You better be able to stop the run. And he missed 27.3% of his tackles in 2022. His 2020, sorry, 22.5% for his career. He, I, I don't know what he can do. If he slims down, he's going to make the one thing that makes him unique. But his weight, he's not making the impact he needs to on a down-to-down basis to be an NFL player. Some people want to mock him at day two. For me... I think someone's going to see upside in him and take him in round six. I really do not think he merits any day two consideration whatsoever. He cannot do the pass rush and he can't do the run defense. And frankly, I wouldn't expect to see him on an NFL field in the first 18 months of his pro career. I hate being so scathing, but it's it's just where I see him. In terms of player comps, I don't have one. TDN thinks Danny Shelton. I'm sure Lions fans will shudder at that comparison. But he he fits 3-4. And so I just don't even think that he fits the Lions anyway, because we just don't play with the role that he plays. So I don't have much fear that he's going to come here. But the people that want him need to take a good hard look at the tape and decide whether he's really for them. Any thoughts on Ica? Everyone knows Probably. mine. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, no ants. He's, he's my most overhyped, underimpressive guy in this entire draft. I mean, you've said it. A nose tackle. What do I want to do? Tackle well. Nearly 30% miss rate this year. I want to take on double teams. People get underneath him. He's isolated on double teams. He's, he's good on one-on-one, but outside of that... He, he's living off his 2021 glory year, and that's the trouble. He had Keanu Benton-like figures last year. He had a half a dozen sacks. He passed rush really well, and everyone got really excited. He completely regressed this year. Not a single sack, nothing. You're meant to get better as you go throughout college, and he regressed, which is why I have a big issue with him at the next level. People look at the size and the frame and go, oh my, that's really good, but no, it's not. He's unathletic. He's regressing as a player. Don't go anywhere near him. Anywhere. This is one... 
I always say when the Lions draft a player, I'll get fully behind them. This is be like the 0.1% of the time I just wouldn't because every single indicator is screaming at you no. So hopefully they listen. And the weird thing with Ika was the whole before the combine, the whole thing with him was meant to be he's this at minimum above average athlete, if not really top end athlete who can move. He's very nimble for guys, 350 pounds. Uh, and the frustration is before the combine, you were like, yeah, but it doesn't show up on tape. And he just, he doesn't do the things he should considering he's 350 plus pounds. Then he goes there, 23 pounds lighter, like you say. He he scores terribly in all the athletic testing. So his relative athletic score was 2.02. So he's not an athlete. He's put nothing on tape. And he even... Like when you saw him move at the combine, having lost 23 pounds, he didn't look like a good 335. He looked like a really like sloppy, bad 335. So I'm like, if you've lost all that weight, you've been training clearly specifically for this day, because you're probably not going to play at that, or at least you want to prove that you can get down. You're not a good athlete. The flashes on tape really haven't been there, especially last year. I, I, I just don't get it. I, I expect to see him tumbling out of top fives and tens in terms of defensive tackle rankings because there's just so little to like. And like I say, you don't you don't want to just lump on a guy um, who's trying to live out his dream. But I thought we were going to be having this conversation following a bunch of hype in the combine and being the classic, like don't just look at him running in pajamas and think he's a superstar. And actually he doesn't even have that to go for him right now. So yeah, n- not for me, thanks. I agree with your assessment, except for one thing, Matt. I do expect him to see the field uh, in the first 18 months. On the field block block unit, to just stand there, put his hands up and try and block the kick, because I don't. I think that's the only thing he'd be good at, is just stick him on for those couple of snaps a game, have him stand, but when the field goal happens, just have him stand up and go like that and try and block the kick. Because I think that's the only way he's going to make his money in the NFL from what I've seen of him, unfortunately. Just to put this into context, we've profiled Mazzy Smith, Gervin Dexter and Keanu Benton at the nose tackle position so far. Smith, on my consensus board, built through all of those five good publications. Mazzy Smith goes at 51, Gervin Dexter 58, Keanu Benton 79, Ica is at 44. It's not funny how much higher he is than the other three. And I would take Mazzy Smith in a heartbeat over Iker. I'd take Dexter in a heartbeat over Iker. And Benton is probably the best of the lot, as Ant has, has said, if not very close to being up there. So God only knows what these mock drafters are doing, to be quite frank. Let's move it on to the next one. On the home straight, two to go, and then honourable mentions. Zach Pickens, South Carolina, Ash. Preview this. This was actually my favorite watch of the three. I, I honestly didn't expect it, but when I came in and watched the tape, I was actually impressed for where this guy is ranked. So Pickens, he's from South Carolina. He's more of a free tech, so probably as I uh, said before, with uh, Kansi's potty, people might not think he's the best fit. But for me, he could be a lion because despite playing that, he's so well-rounded. So uh, this year, he PFF scored him. 70, uh, 67 overall for 60 run defense and a 75 pass rush. But what I saw on tape, and again, it was against Georgia, one of the best O-lines in the uh, in the country. 
against the best team in a country that's won back-to-back national championships. And he was holding his own as a free tech. So he's 6'4", 291. He had a 8.97U. He, uh, so, uh, uh, Raz, he ran a 4.89 40-yard dash with a 1.74 10-yard split. He had uh, an okay size grade, great explosion grade, great speed grade, and a good agility grade. And uh, he has three uh, pass rush moves in his arsenal at the at minimum, which he uses well with a spin, a swim, and a rip move. And he also used uh, sort of one instance where he used the scissor move that Aaron Donald has made his own, where you sort of grab the arms one way and use your other arm to sort of scissor away and get past the guard. And in uh, both run defense and in uh, double, against double teams, he anchors well, uses his feet to adjust the leverage and beat them. He uses his hands well as well in hand fighting to push the guards out the way. And he, uh, as I said before, um, with Dexter, he's been trained well to when he's not close to the QB and he sees him throwing to get his hands up, disengage, get the hands up, try and block the throwing lanes, which is always a good thing. And um, in run defense, despite going up against some bigger guys, especially at the zero, when he was lined up a couple of times at the zero, he's able to disengage really well from the center, sort through the traffic and chase down the uh, running back. And he also doesn't give up when he's on one side of the field and the ball's been thrown the other way. He disengages and runs his best and tries to follow the ball carrier. He never gives up. He has a great motor, which for me, I think Dan, uh, Dan and Brad will value because it just seems to be a line thing where you never give in. You always try and make the most you can as a player. You play to the whistle. And when he the ball is run out of him and he's being blocked, he disengages really well and uses his arms to sort of both of them to grab the ball carrier and get them down. And despite his size as well, he when he's put in a short yard situation on the goal line, he's able to penetrate really well and get good push and try and stop the ball carrier. So for me, he was the most well rounded out of the three, and he's the lowest ranked at um in the fourth round, 135th on the consensus board. Yet for me, he was the most well-rounded. His only real weakness is that he can play himself out of the action sometimes. Sometimes he's a bit happy to follow where the O-lineman's taking him. So let's say they're running a counter, so they move him, try and pull him to slide him towards the right when the ball's going left. He's happy to follow that along. And when there's play action, so let's say you've got a tight end coming across motion, faking a jet handoff, he's happy to follow that when the ball's going the other way. But that's his only real weakness. And it'd be coached out of him just to teach him to use his eyes better and just to have that half a second to sort of think and follow the ball. So for me, his comp is Matt Oinidas, obviously used to play for the Commanders and has recently playing in Panth- uh, in Carolina for the Panthers. It's a good free tech who has is very good at pass rush, but he's well-rounded where you can stick him down on any down and expect him to do a good job. So uh, he can play across from the one tech to the close end in our scheme and probably starts off as a rotational piece behind Aline Bugs and Jones. But I wouldn't be surprised if to start next season, he could be a starter in this league playing 500, 600 uh, snaps a, a season. So for me, even though it's projected in the fourth round, if it's a sort of situation like it was last year with Kirby, where if Brad and uh, Dan trust their valuation enough, if we take him towards the end of the third round, I'd be ecstatic because we're getting a guy who you can trust which is something we really need in this scheme on the D-line to go like, uh, alongside the Lehman complement him. Thoughts on Pickens? I like him. I think 
South Carolina as a team got better as the season went on. I think the D-line was a big reason behind that. And I think he just went under the radar a little bit. But the, the best thing about him, I mean, maybe out of a lot of the defensive tackles in this draft, possibly them all, is when it comes to getting through blocks, he is he is the best at block deconstruction. The the hand speed, the hand usage, he can throw off anything pretty much that's thrown his way. So, you know, so when you've got the technique, you know, you kind of just need to add the finish with it. And I, th- I think that's really the problem with him. He was a five-star, a high five-star rating when he came out into college football and I think the most sacks he's had in a season is three it's the production hasn't been there in the past first game like I said the moves are there but the finish isn't there which is I I guess why he's so far down the list um the run defense needs a little bit of work but like I say technically he's sound he's just underachieved in college compared to what people thought he would but you know, all the raw materials are still there. It's just, can you get him to the quarterback quick enough and can you, you know, refine the run game with him? That's that's why he's down there. He's, he's a project, but, you know, a project with real high upside if you're willing to be patient and, you know, use him correctly to start with. You know, like I said, in two, maybe three years, he'd be a full-time starter for you. And if you've got that on day three then you'll take that any day of the week. I'd, I think you'll go higher again. I think all these DTs are going to go higher because of the lack of them. And I think teams will reach for them a bit. But, you know, he he's the guy who you're looking for real high upside with later in the class. Uh, but the floor could be low if, if it goes wrong. So, but again, I like what I've seen. And I think, you know, the materials are there. It's just up to the right team to get him. It feels a bit cop out constantly talking about I think interviews are going to be important for this person when obviously we don't get access. But um he's someone that I didn't realize he was a five star or like a top recruit. So that's really interesting. Doesn't really seem like he's improved a huge amount the last four years. His PFF grades are very consistent in the 60s every year, which is not bad. But like I, I want to get under the skin of like why. You know, this top prospect coming out, why aren't we consistent down to down? I really like him for the record. And so I think there's lots there. Um, but it's like, why haven't we built that consistency? Uh, but there are definitely flashes. He's not a, he's not an imposing power player by any means, but he is sudden um, and he does flash quickness. Uh, he, he's from a highlight standpoint, there's lots there. But I I just want to understand how he's made up. Why aren't we taking more steps forward? Why aren't we putting it together? Why aren't we showing improvement game to game? I mean, season to season. It's just, it doesn't feel like it's there. So, I mean, if I'm going to try and defend him here, I think the situation at South Carolina has not been the best. I think he's been better since Shane Beamer was there, since arrived the other year. I, I don't know whether it's a coaching thing, but I think before then they weren't there was not a lot going and there's not been a, really a lot of talent come from there recently. So if it if the if the an argument could be made, that might be it. But again, I, I am also the same. It's like when these five star guys don't work, usually the attitude sucks. That's why. They come out of high school thinking they're all this and they've already made it and then they get there and it doesn't quite happen that way. So it'll be interesting, but if if you were to tell me that the school had stifled his development and under the right people he would develop, then I wouldn't be surprised. All right. 
Time to move on to our final guy before honourable mentions and combine takes, and that's a specifically requested player for Mr. Anthony Fitzpatrick, and that is Dante Stills from West Virginia. Oh, I forgot I got him. Um, <laughs> sorry, I know oh, I asked. No. no, no, I know I asked. I've got notes. That's fine. Um, yeah, so you know, we we all have our again. I said Keanu Benton's my favourite player in this D track. DT draft class, but we've always got a favorite player coming out of college who we who we like and I have to show some love for. And I think he's getting entirely disrespected. And as I say, this is Dante Stills. He's the interior defensive lineman from the West Virginia Mountaineers. He's three tech by all intents and purposes, although he does play across the line and he does play out outside linebacker as well, which will be part of my comp thing in a minute. He's 6'4", he's 285 pounds, and I do truly believe he is the dark horse of this defensive tackle class. Matt can probably say right here, he's not even on the board of some of these teams, is he? So, so in my most recent update, he has made his first appearance on the board at 336. Yes, because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for some reason, people don't like him, and it's all to do with his size, but we'll go through it. I think he's going to be good at the NFL. Let's say He's been written off because of the size, the belief that he's going to be nothing more than a specialist pass rusher at the next level, which highly diminishes his value. I can see why people would say that on the surface of things, given the size, but I'm going to hit back for my guy there because I saw him at the start of the season, and I was really impressed, and I've kept an eye on him ever since, and I just think there's something there. So the first up, He's a culture guy personified. We're going to talk about characteristics. I'll talk about that a little bit much. But he's been at West Virginia for five years. They've been in a big transition period under Neil Brown there. I don't know how he's still coaching there. He should have been fired. It's been a really rough time. But he has been a consistent team leader who has stuck with his team through thick and thin, no matter what's gone on. And there have been some very unpretty times there for them in the last few years. And he's produced for his entire career as well. So his 53 tackles for loss, that ranks top 25 out of all eligible players in college football since 2005. This is a high volume of production from a guy who's consistently been there for his team. You will not find, and again, I'm making bold claims, but I back this up. You won't find a more relentless, dedicated interior D lineman in this class. He plays with incredible passion for his team. He plays with the hottest motor out of anyone. And when he gets going, he can take over a game. And if I'm going to send you to anything today, go and check the backyard brawl from this season. It was one of my favorite games of college all season. Maybe my most favorite. It was week one versus Pittsburgh. He absolutely annihilated them. Three sacks on the day, a forced fumble, Absolutely stymied their run attack, which includes Israel Abanakanda, who is my favorite running back in the draft. He had eight runs for 15 yards, significantly his worst performance of the season. And Stills was leading all this from the three-tech position. He wrecked the hell. So it's his penetration and sheer speed, which are his calling cards. They allow him to overcome the physical limitations of his size. He gap shoots. He will get there before a lineman can set himself and he will exploit the gap. That's how he works. But it's simple. It's effective. It doesn't need to be flashy. It doesn't need to have all the moves in there. Just the speed alone gives him so much opportunity. And the great thing about it is he finishes, as I said, at the next level, he is going to start as a pass rusher. He's going to have less, you know, he's going to have less playing time. He's going to need to make the most of his opportunities, kind of like Houston did with us this year. 
his college production through four years says five years, sorry, says he will be able to make that opportunity. So you can use him as a pass rusher. You can use him out wide. And this is the interesting thing with Pittsburgh. So people say the size, he gets caught up in the middle of the lines. What they do, especially when they're in short yardage situations, defending their own goal line, they'll move him to outside linebacker. Because teams, they use screens. They have the guys who run outside the tackles, the speedy guys. They will put him specifically there for the purpose of getting out into the space, making open field tackles and stopping this. And he does it really well. So this is not just a case of he's a pass rusher and he's going to go through the middle. You can scheme him out wide to cover against teams who love to run outside the tackles, who love to run screens. Red zone defense for a guy like him, actually really good. And this is where I think his value is going to come at the next level. And, and as for being a bad run defender, I know 285, he's graded very well against the run over his time. And all he needs to do is put on a little bit of weight and he will be able to hold his own in the interior there. I do agree that he's going to come up into the league and be a pass rusher to start with. But I think over time, given the versatility he has, you can move him out wide. You can use him in the interior, bulk him up a little bit to give you a hand against the run. I think he'll be a solid rotational option for teams in the league. And if the TDM boards would be to believe, you'll get him as an undrafted free agent. But I think he's going to be drafted. I hope he gets drafted because I think he's one of the most exciting prospects in this class. These DTs, there are very few starters there. Most of these guys are projects. And I think he's one of the most exciting projects going. So Dante Stills, West Virginia, Honestly, if you want a late-round sleeper to come in who's going to be versatile, who's going to give you something in time over the league, he's your guy. And like I say, go check the backyard brawl. One of the best games in college football this season. You will love every second of it. Thoughts on Stills? Anyone seen him play? I haven't. I've seen a bit of the backyard brawl because I remember watching it week one because there was highlights coming on when I was watching the first uh, game. But... A player who can play it from outside linebacker to free tech sounds like Trey Flowers to me. So you're saying he's an up, uh, Trey Flowers with upside? Sure no, no. Don, Dante has a Dante <laughs> has a highlight reel, a big highlight reel. So he's Trey Flowers who can actually finish. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I say it's a very intriguing thing. We always gone, but again, people are seeing the size and people are going, yeah, he's he's not going to be anything more than a situational guy. Look at how Pittsburgh use him. They have shown that you can scheme West him. West Virginia, sorry. They've shown that you can scheme him and you get a lot out of him at the next level. So, And if you watched him at the Combine, tested athletically incredibly very well. I think he was the second quickest DT of everybody. You know, yeah. his movement drills, he's so quick, he's so fluid. And that speed is a difference maker. Again, very few running backs who will go be able to outrun him at that speed, you know. So there you go. So say I think everyone is overlooking West Virginia because there's another player who'll probably talk about in a bit when we talk about the combine from West Virginia who tested really well, who's actually one of my favorites in this class for a certain position. So I think West Virginia is getting overlooked because they have been bad in recent years, haven't they? Yeah. And so I mean, I'm not even taking the culture aspect into this. He is a complete and utter culture guy. He's stuck with his team through really rough times, and that sort of stuff doesn't go unnoticed. He maybe could have had a flashier, better career, but he's got production throughout five years. You don't get that if you're not good, and I think it translates to the next level. I really do. Yeah, so I haven't seen much of him, to be honest, but I will for two reasons go and look him up. One, 
love it when uh, we get that level of passion about a player, especially a guy who's likely going to fall outside of day one and two. But two, what little combine I watched, because I was away for the, the whole weekend from Friday morning, he moved really well. So he tested really well, but also just in terms of how he was moving, you could see some of that flexibility. And from what little I, I do know on him, yes, he's a bit of a tweener, but I always find it impressive when guys who don't have a clear role, but do have potentially a creative defensive coordinator, and they still find ways to win at the positions that they shouldn't really, because they may be too small for this or kind of too heavy and immobile for, for this role, and yet they still get it done. So uh, I don't have a big take on him, but I will I will go take a look. Yeah. All right, we'll come to... Oh, sorry. And no. No, I was about to say, for anyone who thinks I'm talking out my ass with an undrafted free agent guy, I will just point you back to Reed last year. He was an undrafted free agent and he went to the Super Bowl as a contributor. So I'm not entirely talking out my ass here. Not entirely. Right, let's move on to honourable mentions at the DT position. Ash, I know you had a couple specifically you just wanted to briefly mention. Yeah, so one sort of ties on quite nicely to what Ansh just said about culture. And it is a homer pick, I'm afraid, but it will fit. So Robert Cooper Sr., the nose tackle for Florida State, five-year starter. So he's gone from right from Willie Taggart era, shudders, to the Mike Norvell era. Complete He's had a complete scheme change. So when we was at Taggart, we was a 3-4. We've moved to uh, even front now for 4-3. And he's stuck around. He's been a consistent run defender. Uh, his worst year was this year where he got, unfortunately, got injured. But a complete culture guy probably going to go undrafted since he's in like the uh like the he let's have a look on the board he's about 200 i want to say on the consensus board so he's uh let's have a look Robert Cooper, yeah 247 so he's probably going to be undrafted and he could be a bugs uh benito jones level player for us the other one is kobe turner the d tackle from wake forest who was the number one graded power five d tackle this season who and i hate to say absolutely destroyed us this year when we played Frank Forest, and he could be the kind another, he's another consistent free tech. He transferred in this year from Richmond to Wake Forest and completely utterly lit it up this season. And he's also in like the 150 to 200 range. So if you're looking, if we sound got a D tackle in day three, he could also be worth a, a look at for us. Anyone else, anyone wants to mention? There is one guy who had a great combine that we haven't mentioned because we didn't choose him. Unfortunately, I didn't choose him. Um, which is the Northwestern Adetumewa Adabawari. I butchered it, and I'm sorry, but what, what a combine he's had. Got to do. If we didn't pick him because he, he, he he's listed as an edge, isn't he? So that's probably why we didn't pick him because it, it's one of those tweener types. But yeah, he absolutely yeah. lit it up as well. He looks really yeah, I mean, good. I, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't even heard of him uh, before that, but it's... I literally cannot get my head around how someone of that size can run a sub four five forty. So mad. So Adabare, he is a very he is going to be a very interesting example of how much people are going to bet on the athleticism. You know, because I have this whole athleticism versus talent shown on tape at college debate, and I'm on the wrong side of it, according to a lot of people. But he has struggled to find a position in college. Um, like I said, he's a tweener. 
again, it's kind of like Tavai we mentioned earlier. He's good at like the run in one area and then the pass in another, but there's no distinct home for him. And, you know, it, Northwestern is a team where you can stand out as a good player. People say they're a rubbish team, but, you know, you've got Skaronsky coming out this year who's stood up as a top talent. You've got Evan Hull who stopped, who's stood out as a top talent. You had um, Rashawn Slater the other year, you know, top 10 draft pick. This is a team where if you play well and you stand out, you will get your dues in the draft, and and he hasn't, and and for good reason. He's just never been explosive, never really stood out, and I, I see the reaction to his combine, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. Watch the tape. Don't watch the figures. This is it, It's going to be like with Richardson. You, you've got to be careful. Rass is not God. It's pretty damn accurate, but it ain't God, and it does not indicate everyone's pressure there. Bayer, beware with him. He could be good, but not like the athletics will indicate and what someone will give up for him. I don't have anyone else to mention on the DT or nose tackles particularly. Does anyone else have any honourable mentions, or should we move to combine generally? There's a lot of... No, there's a lot of tweeners this year. You could put a load of people inside now. In fact... I would I would put honorable mention to Carl Brooks in there. That's who I, I was going to say. Yeah. I, do, I don't. Carl Brooks is an edge, the bowling green edge, but he's going to come to the interior. He trained on interior at the senior bowl, and again, I did he? I don't know if he tested. I did he test? He, he, he no, wasn't. He wasn't he invited. He's got, he's, he's got. Yeah, he wasn't invited. I remember he got snubbed. No, Carl Brooks is a name to watch at DT. Um, he's going to move in from the edge from bowling green. In fact. I'm hoping we do a show on the college football show, specifically on the Mac in a week or two. So we will really put the hammer down on him. But watch Carl Brooks at DT. He goes surprise a lot of people. I think he's going to go really high. All right, let's move on to the combine generally. I know, Tom, that you were away for much of it, but uh, some spectacular performances in there. And I know... I know Ant will say to me, and has already said today, don't overvalue the combine, don't move people too far, watch the tape, it's the most important thing to watch. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But in the combine, there are performances that make you think, I need to go back and check the tape, whether for a good reason, because he outperformed expectations, or for a bad reason, because he didn't. And so maybe we can term this a I need to check the tape segment. So is there anyone following the combine that you're like, I have to go back and look at this guy for better or worse. So just, just to back up my views here, I know I, the off season I'm not very high on, but there are some people who it applies to tweeners, for example, Diane Henley. I've gone massively up on because of the off season. I've gone back and watched the tape. I enjoy it. And small school guys, small school guys, especially when they come to the senior bowl, there are guys there who can do well, but the one who's instantly caught my eye this week, I thought I'd written myself off him. I thought I was been biased because of the HBCU stuff, etc. But I thought I'd nearly written him off. But Isaiah Land came into this at outside linebacker. The massive knock on him, and it was a knock I had as well. He was playing at 215 pounds. I was very careful not to put the James Houston moniker on him because let's get this straight. He's not James Houston. He's got the speed. He doesn't have the bend. But he's put on 21 pounds. He's playing at 236 Currently, and he came and tested incredibly well for his position. He was one of only two HBCU players invited, but he looked good at the senior bowl. He's produced his entire career in college. 
and he looked damn good. The weight went up and he still tested well, which makes me believe there is a position for him at the next level as an outside linebacker. I think he's probably going to play there. I think you can use him at edge as well. I think you can tween him a little bit. But if he carries on playing that, puts a little tiny bit more weight on, I was very impressed with him. And it's made me rethink whether I wouldn't do it or not. We've got Houston. Do we need two of these guys? But I think there's still a spot. I think Houston's going to go entirely to edge. So I think there's still a spot there for him. So I... I fall in a different camp to you, Ant, in terms of, and we've talked about this before, but so athletic testing for me is is important or important-ish. I know you're not saying it's not important, but I'm I'm more on that that uh, that side. That being said, I guess my biggest surprise from the Combine, having not watched it, but I've tried to catch up just in terms of numbers, is when we double count people's traits. Um, now, Anthony Richardson, I'm going to give a bit of a pass because it was obviously an extraordinary workout but we knew he was an extraordinary athlete. So uh, my issue with that is not, I think he should be bumped in terms of people being like, I knew he was a good athlete, but I didn't know he was the best QB athlete of all time. But at the same time, people who were so anti taking him at six or 18 before are now saying, oh yeah, we should definitely take him. It's like, if, if you thought that before the combine and actually I was, I'm quite tempted by him to be perfectly honest and we'll do QB discussions another time, but that shouldn't be what, what changes everything. Christian Gonzalez, again, I'd say maybe the favorite to be the Lions pick at six as we sit here now, maybe. We went into the combine knowing he was going to be super explosive in the jumps and he was probably going to, I thought he was going to run a 4-4 flat, so 4-4-0, and he ran, I think, a 4-3-8. He didn't necessarily show us anything different. We knew he was going to be silky smooth in all the drills. And so suddenly, because Devin Witherspoon didn't test, I'm seeing everyone put Gonzalez at six and no one put Witherspoon when a week ago it was the complete opposite. And like I say, people can have preferences on players and actually Gonzalez and Witherspoon, I'm still not 100% sure which way I, I, I lean. I lean a little bit with the spoon, but like it could, it could change. But it seems like it's such a, a quick switch based on things we already knew about certain players. So for me, it's more when people come out of the woodwork for good or bad reasons. So uh, take Jack Campbell, the linebacker. Really nice tape a lot of the time, but didn't necessarily look like he was a top-end athlete. And then his combine was superb. So now it's like, you've got to go back and be like, does he just test well and it doesn't necessarily show up? Did I miss something that actually I didn't think he was good, as good an athlete as he was? And then there's other guys where they just come out of nowhere and you think they're going to be good or bad and it's completely opposite. But yeah, it, it's... I'm almost, I'm surprised isn't the word. People need clicks, but uh, it, it is surprising to some extent how many people have just bitten on things we already knew about players and are now like so confident that they are everything the NFL has ever wanted. I mean, just on AR, I said pre-combine, he'll go number one overall. So I'm I'm confident in that. I just think that someone's going to fall in love with traits and that's what really gets you to number one overall. I don't think it's necessarily production, which is why, you know, he's just tantalizing, isn't he? But yeah, sorry, I cut you off, Ash. I was going to say, it's interesting that we're having this debate, uh, debate, especially about Richardson when, and I encourage some people who maybe don't know where they sit with like Raz versus traits versus like production to look at currently on 12 at least just before we started recording and i saw a bit of it but 
Magic's probably gone on because I know both people that are involved. Well, don't know them personally, but I know of the people involved. There is a, I don't want to say argument, but heated discussion on Twitter right now between Malcolm Hart and Math Bomb about the value of Raz with QBs. I don't, I don't know where I personally sit with it because as, as I've seen a lot of uh, Richardson as a Florida State fan, obviously I have to see how the opposition's doing, especially when we're uh, beating the pants off them and forcing him to go for uh, 15 straight incompletions. But um, I was on board with him at six beforehand anyway. But yeah, I don't get why people are suddenly switching. It's like, oh yeah, we've got to be in on at six. We need to have that kind of athleticism if they weren't there beforehand because we knew he was going to be a tank. Yeah, maybe not like better than Cam Newton, best of all time in terms of Raz performance, but we knew it was going to be there. The issues are more weren't to do with his athleticism, but more to do with the production and uh, like his ability to throw the ball accurately. So I don't get that switch. But for me, the two people who came out probably the most in terms of I need to go back to watch the tape. The one for the positive was uh, Bryce uh, Ford Wheaton, the, uh, the West Virginia wide receiver who came up with a 9.96 unofficial Raz because I, he was on my radar beforehand as a sort of potential day three ex type receiver. But for someone to come out with a 6'4 build, 221 weight, and then run a 4.38, the same as Christian Gonzalez, that was out of nowhere. I didn't see that coming, so I've got to go back and see how that's going on tape. And then the other side, someone's got to go, I encourage people to go watch the tape on because he didn't run the 40 time that well. Is and It's a homer pick again, and a lot of people here will know who I'm going to say. Jamie Robinson, the Florida State Nickelbacks safety, because he plays so much uh, faster than that on tape. Then he's a 4.68 40 time. He's a lot faster than that. And he's very physical for his size. But I've seen some people already, not in our circle, but in general, in terms of uh, draft Twitter, sort of was turned off from him, from Branch and from Christopher Smith. These like sort of the top nickel safety guys because they had such poor 40 times in retrospect when the tape says completely different. So it's sort of like you've got to find that balance where you've got, yeah, look at the athletic numbers, but also the tape should be the first thing you look at. And I think that's the same with Brad and Dan. I know they've been relatively well at drafting athletic guys, but they've always let the tape lead them and it's worked for them so far. So why should we say any difference? And, and this is the issue I have with it. People throw away months or maybe years worth of opinions based on on one day. It's like, I'm not going to, you know, like I said, with Jammy and Christopher Smith. I love Christopher Smith. I ain't dropping him down my board because he ran a poor 40. I know exactly who he is. He's a leader. He's been on one of the most elite defenses in college football. He hits hard. He's good in coverage. He can go be a damn good player on Sundays, and I'm not going to have one little time. Tell me otherwise. So it can be good for some things, but there is overreaction to it. It has been taken as gospel now that good Rass is everything, and it is not true. So, you know, that that's the only problem I have with that. Anyhow, back to the prospects. There were a few things I took away from it, the main part. I, on the college pub, when we did our top 10, when it came to edges, I put Keon White at three, which is high for a lot of people. I probably got the highest grade out of him at all. I'm ready to upgrade that to two. I think he's going to be better than Miles Murphy. And I like the way he... I mean, the athletic drills were really good. He tested well. He's The trouble with him, he's raw at the position. So it's, it's not like you can even go all the way back to the tape 
and get lots from there. So you've got to see, has he got the traits he needs? Has he got the speed he needs? Has he got everything else he needs at the next level to get where he needs to? And this is where the athletic testing is useful. But he looked one of the most fluid and solid edge rushers out there in the entire combine. So my hot take is he's he's the best guy after Will Anderson. I think he's going to be. And then in terms of guys, I'm going to go back and watch again. I've watched him a little bit, but I'm going to watch more because he's a small school guy. But Andre Yoshivas, the wide receiver out of Princeton, tested incredibly well again. He's coming from a small school, but he if we don't select Puka, who I've been massively up for for wide receiver for the X now, he's the guy after. I'm going to go back and watch a bit more, but I think he's got everything he needs to succeed, and he didn't look out of place at the Combine at all. So he, he's one I'm going back to look at for sure. Right, I've got a few guys that I need to go back and check the tape. Some people have fallen in love with because of the combine, and I haven't necessarily actually seen enough tape to have an opinion on whether they're any good. But just some people that I watched the drills or watched the the testing and thought, I want that guy. I need to check whether that's good practice now. Uh, wide receiver Andre Isovas from Princeton. Uh, running back Chase Brown from Illinois. thought he was one of the best running backs on the day by far. Um, outside linebacker Yaya Diabe from Louisville, uh, outside linebacker Jose Ramirez from Eastern Michigan, and outside linebacker Dorian Williams from Tulane. Jack Campbell stands out at interior, uh, inside linebacker as the only day one starter inside linebacker in the draft, potentially. And then the rest are all cornerbacks Jacorian Bennett from Maryland, Jatavius Martin from Illinois, Deontay Banks from Maryland, and DJ Turner from Michigan. The only guy that I think tanked his stock so, so badly in the draft is also from Michigan, and he's been jumped on by everyone, and I feel bad doing it, but it's got to be said, Mike Morris, all-time terrible draft, uh, terrible combine, just looked all at sea, and uh, it leaves me wondering whether he belongs at the next level, to be quite honest, because, okay, maybe he can do a job as just a as a five or seven tech who sits out there and and just run defends but has no pass rush upside he was slow lethargic i I didn't see any buzz there whatsoever so he was super disappointing but the rest of these guys just look terrific and what i really loved about it is i came away falling in love with people who were potentially day three prospects i saw vast from princeton diaby from louisville thank you very much Ramirez from Eastern Michigan, Bennett from Maryland, Martin from Illinois. They're all kind of slated to be early day three guys. I just think there's a terrific load of value in this draft. So uh, further down anyway. So that that's really exciting. Lots of people for me to watch through. Chase Brown, you're going to love. You're going to love Chase Brown. He, I've been on uh, on him from early in this season. He He's a workhorse. He's got a bit of tread on him. He has had a lot of carries already in college. But he's a really, really good running back. He's solid. If we, if you're looking for a guy who, if we transition to more of like a workhorse kind of load after we get rid of uh, Jamal and Swift, he's the kind of guy who can handle that at least for his rookie contract, in my opinion. He's really, really good. Yeah. It's a weird thing with Michigan. Their most talented player in this draft, in my books, is not getting talked about, which is the center. Center. I don't get why Oluwatimi's not getting mentioned more. He is the best player at his position that Michigan is producing in this draft, and no one's talking about him. It's odd. 
but I think it's because we don't have the need for him, so everyone's kind of like sort of oh, out, yeah, of sight, out of mind with him. But we've no need. I get for, what you mean. We've we've no need yeah. for Bell or Shoemaker or Moody, but everyone's. I say we do with Shoemaker. Shoemaker, mm. we do have a need at tight end for me, and he does fit what we want. He is, and he my loose comp from him is Brock Wright. He's shown the blocking already, and he has receiving upside. So Shoemaker in like sort of the fifth round for me, I'd be on board with that. We He's actually have probably Brock the... Wright. Exactly. But imagine two Brock Wrights. What's no. better than one Brock Wright? One exactly. Brock <laughs> but you know what they say, two rights don't make a wrong, so oh. it must be right to draft him. All right, stop, yeah. the, stop the pod now. Call it. Yeah, I mean, we I do don't... actually, we do have to call it because it has been a long one. So any any closing thoughts? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I still don't That's like the, I still don't like the pajama games. They need to change how they're done. I mean, I feel incredibly sorry for Voorhees. They should not have offensive linemen running 40-yard dash. Say it again. They should not have offensive linemen running the 40-yard dash. Why do we need to know that? Maybe a 10-yard split. That's it. Have them run a damn 10-yard split and then be done with it. He's torn his ACL and lost his rookie year for a you know, an exercise he didn't have to do. It's got to change to stop these injuries happening. So I just, yeah, it, you know me, I, I don't like it. It needs to change. It needs to become more better suited. Agree. I mean, he should just not run it then, though. Like, you you can just opt out of a drill. Yeah. I, I know but, that but, you but, might but, get but, tanked for it. But... But, then, but, but then your rask grade takes a hit and then no one likes you. I mean, I, I fully back anyone who didn't run the 40, so. Uh, just on that, did you see the ball? He still put up 38 reps on bench, even though yeah. he taught his ACL he was doing leg. it with one leg on the floor. Unbelievable. Jeez. Absolutely crazy. Right. If you are on the live show on YouTube and Twitch, stay with us as we're going to continue on for a little bit. But if you're on the recorded show, let me close out here. Next show on the main podcast, Monday, March 13th cornerback class i won't be here and will be in the host chair for the main show i'm hoping please please don't, do that for us um don't, don't sound so disappointed i'm not I'm, that bad no i'm sad i'm not here for cornerbacks but you know i'm really excited about this cornerback class it's probably the best in the last 20 years at cornerbacks so going to be really exciting and a really good show to listen to so do come back for that college pod and coming up what you're going to be talking about uh, so we'll be back on Wednesday. We're going to, as you said earlier, go through the combine in a bit of detail, some of our winners, losers, all those little bits. And then we're going to be going through the pro day circuit. So pro days, if anyone doesn't know, start tomorrow uh, with Indiana. I believe it's the last last road on the path, oh, the last stop on the path to the draft. So they're going to be happening, players getting their last tests in before. So we're going to have a little look through that and, um, yeah, we'll do some of the little bits and bobs as well, but mainly Combine and Pro Day stuff tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. All right. You can find us on Raw the Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The group on Facebook for Worldwide Fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK, one private wide. The website, rotluk.com. Please subscribe, like, rate us five stars, give us feedback on the form below, all that good stuff. You know how much it helps us out, how much it helps more content creators out. So anything you can do is appreciated. Stick with us if you're live, but if you're not, for now, hope you enjoyed the combine. We'll see you next time for Ash, Tom, and Anne. I'm Matt. 
Let's go Lions One Pride. One Pride. Okay.